Hello, everyone, and welcome to another small screen Star Wars. As always, I am Julian Musha. I'm joined by Rachel Wilkinson. Hello. And we are going to be talking about The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 7, Chapter 23, The Spies. The Spies. So there's an S at this, a plural, The Spies. Thought, obviously, um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to get right into it here. Obviously, Aliyah Kane is a spy. Who Who's the other spy? I, I have a th- don't know. That's kind of what I was wondering about, too. It's, yeah, okay, I'm like okay. trying to figure it out though, through the through the episode. And I'm like, okay, is there like another one? But yeah, I don't know. What, what do well, you think? I got some bad vibes from the armor again this week. So I'm, that's my vote for who the spy is. Really? Oh, yeah, 100%. Hmm. Uh, we'll get into why. Uh, specifically, that scene where she's like returning the people to the fleet is of concern to me. But okay, we, we shall see. And that's my uh, that's my theory. It's also possible that they just mean like Gideon was a spy or something. I don't. Right. I'm not yeah. sure. Really. Yeah. Maybe that's what they mean. But I, I think it's more complex than that. Either way, we'll get into that in this episode today. This is a big episode. Um, Part of this, I think the opening scene of this episode was uh, revealed at Star Wars Celebration last weekend and was uh, well-received. But I honestly don't think that there is a clip that they could show from any Star Wars anything that wouldn't be well-received at Star Wars Celebration. So take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) That being said, it was pretty cool. So we'll get into that. There's a lot of kind of... uh, lore-heavy stuff in the very beginning of this episode. Uh, We'll get into that as well. Um, Before we do that, I'll I'll get a little bit of uh, stuff out of the way. Um, I'm sick. I don't know. You can probably hear it in my voice. I've got a cold or something. So I'll be sipping on this rooibos tea. I had some oil of oregano. Have you ever had oil of oregano? Uh, Oh, oh, yeah. It's gross. It's super gross. So I've never had that before, and now I regret it. So it's supposed to help. I'm not sure... How it's not clear, but um, anyway, we'll see if that helps yeah. in the, the, for this recording. And uh, well, you know, I don't know what else do we want to talk about. I will talk about the the Patreon. If you want to help support the show, and this is actually as we are making a transition at following the Mandalorian, we're going to be making some improvements to the live experience. I've mentioned this on a couple shows already. We're making some improvements to the live experience. Um, which means we're going to need to inject a little bit of cash into the show, which is not a problem because, uh, again, we have very amazing supporters over on patreon.com slash Tower Babblecast. Um, but if you want to be considered among those heroes, uh, head over to, as I mentioned, patreon.com slash Tower Babblecast. You can join the Discord, chat with us. We got a great message actually today from a listener uh, and patron. So amazing support of the show friend of the show, uh, Jason Telford. I'll just read uh, uh, some of his comment here. This is in the, uh, the the Discord, which you get access to for $250 or $5. Gets you that plus our monthly film club. And we just did Enemy for, uh, for last month. That was a really fun one, but also broke my brain. So if you want to hear me admit to being an idiot, you can listen to that for, for 5 bucks a month. <laughs> <laughs> at, least last, at, least, at least last month. Um, okay, uh, so this is Jason Telford saying, "Holy crap, that episode of Mando was so good last night." Obviously, talking about this episode, 
crazy one of the best episodes followed by probably one of the worst of the series. I'm so confused by this season. Now it feels like we could actually uh, had a really compelling season with a bit more focus. Um, largely agree. I don't. I actually really enjoyed last week's episode. I know it got a little flack. I think the problem is where it sits in the season um, makes it feel yeah, kind of tougher to swallow. Um, but to, you know, understood. I think that's a fair comment. Um, I think this episode is also amazing. So we'll we'll get into why we think so. Although. I got to be honest. I think it is a bit. It does feel a bit off. I don't. I don't. I don't. It's not a ten out of ten for me, but it's pretty close. Um, but anyway, if you want to help take part in the show, uh, you can do that uh, by watching us live. So we record live Thursday nights on uh, uh, around seven thirty, eight o'clock Central Time, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter and uh, sorry Twitch and YouTube and Twitter at Tower Babblecast on Twitter at Tower Babblecast and really. Everything, every social media platform imaginable. Um, or you can listen to us live record within the TOB recording studio, which is a virtual studio within the Discord channel, uh, which you get access to um, by being a Patreon subscriber. So that's all of the uh, the usual stuff out of the way. Let's get into this episode. So this is chapter 23 the spies okay oh i we should mention by the way i guess before we get into that uh, there was a little bit more news out of uh uh star wars celebration one of them being that the bad batch was renewed for season three but a little bit of a tough pill to swallow it's also its final season so bad batch is coming down right. after season three rachel what do you think about that what, how do you feel about that um yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. I feel like it's... Blasphemy. It's not a story that's meant... <laughs> it's not a story, I think, that is meant to be drawn out for, like, six, seven seasons. Um, I mean, we don't really know the fate to these characters. Nope. Um, I guess we will by the end of next time. Maybe, next maybe. I mean, I don't know. I said it, it's, it's going to come out in uh, 2024, um, is my understanding. Okay. And... You know, yet no, we don't know the fates of these characters. I heard this asked on another podcast, but I'm going to ask it here. Will we see any of these characters in live action in the future? I don't know. Like, it'd be. What about Omega? It's hard because it's. Yeah, we may maybe see her. Actually, she's one of the ones that like might <clears throat> isn't too, I guess, old. Um, but I mean, a lot of these guys are going to kind of age out, right? So, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, technically retconned rex is in episode six right yeah uh, yes Am and I no correct? so there is a there is a They've, it it's a bit yeah. complicated technically speaking the character that we see um in episode six that people are like that's rex and uh and the reason for that is because uh, i think dave filoni had a whole thing about how he imagined rex being there on andor or on uh um say andor no and My, Endor? Endor. Thank you. Thank you. Those two are too too close together. Uh, this <laughs> is my sick brain working here. Um, that he was there and they modeled the Rex um, uh, character model for Rebels after that character. And he even gets a very similar right. outfit. But right. I think that they have later admitted that no, that, that character isn't specifically Rex. They haven't retconned that. But in my headcanon, it, it is. So that's how I, that's how I, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, it just depends on their fates, right? Mm-hmm. With Bad Batch. But um, I'm not necessarily upset about it being like a quick, uh, like set of seasons. But I guess we'll, it kind of, it is, it will depend what they do with it though. So right. I hope they use the time wisely and do something good with it with the little time they have left. So yeah, I mean, I think for the Bad Batch, um, you're right that it doesn't seem like a story that can continue forever, especially at that time period. But I just think the show is so good. And I think that they've really hit a stride. I mean, I don't think Lucasfilm animation is going to go anywhere. So they'll probably take on new projects and what that, what that will be is unclear, right? Maybe it'll be, um, I don't know, another lost season of the clone wars. They've done that in the past where they've kind of gone back and, um, redid some episodes that they weren't able to finish. So that's possibility. Or maybe the, Maybe if it, if if we're really lucky, maybe what they'll do is uh, remake Rebels, so <laughs> it's much more palatable to the eye. Uh. Um, that would be my dream. It's not even that hard. There's like three seasons; they can do it. You I think there's four. There's four seasons of Rebels. I think yeah. it's four. So I, I find I mean, it I guess, funny how much you I guess hate if Rebels it. Has four seasons. I don't think it's, it's as just bad. Really I, ugly. I don't think it's that ugly. I don't know. I really don't think it's have that you bad. Seen the, have you seen the Bad Batch? I, in the Clone season seven. Well, I mean, it's okay, like yeah, but I mean, when, when you're comparing two different animations, they don't even have dynamic lighting, Kara. Oh my god. It, no, okay. Rachel, they don't even have dynamic lighting in Rebels. It's so <laughs> flat. It's not. Good. Yeah, but when was Rebels made? Like we got a <laughs> Clone War. The the last season of Clone Wars before Rebels came out was also better looking than than. Yeah, than Rebels. fair enough. <laughs> it's a it's a step down. It's a, they admitted that they had to. It was a budgetary reason. They had they couldn't do it the same way, so they they did it that way. Yeah. I get it. But hey, <clears throat> now they got the back uh, the bank of. Um, I guess that was the fir- one of the first Disney properties, was it not? Rebels. I, th- I want to say it was. Um, but they've got it. They've got this. You know, a big Disney bank behind them. Um, they are they're about to release Ahsoka, which is essentially a Rebels sequel. So what's the best way to get people into Rebels? Well, relaunch it with a brand new, um, you know, coat of paint. <laughs> That's my theory. Fair enough. Um, okay. So I, I think there was some other news, but that one's the one that comes to mind the most. Um, I will uh, skim through the uh, the news uh, on our next kind of full episode, probably on the Tower of Babel podcast to talk about anything that we might have missed. But largely speaking, I think we covered the main topics last week and this week. Um, and uh, let's get into it. Let's get into this yeah. episode of Mando. There's, there's, there's just too much to cover here. All right, so chapter 23, The Spies. Uh, survivors come out of hiding. One of the all-time worst log lines, <laughs> maybe, of, of the show yet. Yeah, it doesn't even really make sense. The log lines are just, they feel like they're just not trying. <laughs> It's like yeah, somebody put like, them in there as placeholders and then they just didn't change them after. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which intern was assigned to this job? <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I, I have, um, I, I, it doesn't matter ultimately, but it's just like a little bit more. It's not like these were even available before the episodes come out, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, and they don't have to like give us all the details, but survivors come out of hiding. Which survivors are they? Are they the Imperial survivors? I guess. I guess all of them. Hiding, or is it the survivors on the man on Mandalore that come out I, of hiding? I or? guess it means both. I don't know. I guess. I don't. I suppose. 
I mean, the survivors on Mandal. I mean, the Imperials don't really even come out of hiding. They pull the other ones into their hiding spot. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Okay. So this is directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Uh, he has done previous episodes of The Mandalorian. Most notably, I think, uh, would be the prison escape sequence from season one. It's a, one of my favorite episodes. Very cool sh- uh, prison ship uh, sequence. Uh, really solid director um, and certainly puts in some great work here. Um, interesting to see the kind of the contrast in how they visualize Mandalore from episode three. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit more clear. I want to say the lighting's a little bit, eh, it's not that different, but I just think that they handled it a little bit better uh, this week. Um, written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. No surprise there. <laughs> Starring a whole bunch of people. This is really, this episode ties in basically all the loose plot threads yeah. that were left over from earlier in the season, uh, which is convenient, uh, especially for a penultimate episode. Good, By the way, good reminder that next week is the finale. Uh, it, it, it is. going to be... Uh, it, I mean, I don't know. It's eight-episode season. I think that people are rightfully annoyed that it was only eight episodes this season. Um, so next week is the finale, and then we're probably taking another year, maybe more, before we get any more. I don't... You know, it's unclear because I think they said that they're going to be going a little bit of on a slower roll for some of these properties. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, can't much get much slower than two years off. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we don't do that again for the Mandalorian. Uh, anyway, so that's a little bit of the setup. Rachel, what did you think of this week's episode? Oh, I really liked this episode. Like I think, I don't know. This one was just really exciting, but it had a lot of, I don't know, had really good, like kind of funny moments in it too. But yeah, I just feel like it had everything that I've been really itching for out of this season. So, like, lots of action, lots of moving the plot along. Um, I just, I love seeing so many Mandalorians and all the infighting and everything. I just, yeah, I don't know. I liked all of it. It was, it's up there for one of my favorites of the season so far. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It is, I think, very competent in in everything it sets out to do right it wraps up a few plot lines as i said before the ig11 one specifically comes to mind yes yeah the pershing one kind of um a little bit we spend 20 minutes before we get to mandalore in a i think of a little bit oddly paced opening of this episode right so i don't give it full marks because we we arrive bo arrives with her her fleet of ships to uh, the planet and then they essentially leave <laughs> the next day so <laughs> it feels a little uh, that all felt a little weird um, uh, but I mean like I said it, that, that's hardly a uh, uh, Navarro which is where they kind of make camp for an afternoon <laughs> and then leave <laughs> but other than that I think uh, once they get to Mandalore um, largely pretty great except again a little exception here being this like weird sequence with this giant kaiju monster which feels completely unnecessary um yeah that was kind of out of nowhere it serves no no purpose whatsoever i guess um other than maybe to be a red herring for the the mythosaur potentially i don't know <laughs> so i mean my you know my opinion on all of this is that this episode does a lot of good work to set things up for a finale that i think will be sp- pretty satisfying but largely speaking it feels like it felt 
the season still feels fairly aimless, despite the fact that, oh, okay, they all come in, it all points back to this point. It it doesn't feel satisfying to look back and say, oh, well, of course it leads to that because none of the, the breadcrumbs weren't really laid, in my opinion, very well. Okay. Um, just a, a few of them were better than others that, that kind of doesn't create this sense of building momentum that we've kind of been used to in previous seasons of Mandalorian. So, no, I don't think this is my favorite episode of the series. That's probably the season two finale that's up there with, for, for me. But this is quite high. It brings in a lot of really cool stuff. As you mentioned, really good action. Some really great lore building and world building that they do for the Mandalorians. So we'll get into that. I think that that is well done. Um, and then obviously the return of a big bad like Moff Gideon is uh, you know appreciated because I think the show was... Again, part of the reason it felt like a little aimless is because it it was missing that yes. that kind of key villain yeah. character. Yeah. So, yeah, the return of Gideon really adds a lot of um, weight to the series. So that's so that is nice. Um, shall we see what IMDb thinks of this episode? Oh, I guess we shall. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, a review titled "Diamond in the Rough" and one of the show's best. A nine out of ten review by Love Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Okay. Uh, finally, after a lackluster season, we get our first great episode. This is what we expected after the fantastic finale of season two. Last week's episode was brutally bad and pointless. Yikes. Okay. So apparently we're the minority here. Uh, I love Michael Jordan. Yeah. Jason Telford on this, on this point. Um, this is what this show should be like. Actual tension and good storytelling. By the way, I agree about the tension. There was a lack of it during most of the season until basically the middle part of the season of this episode, I started getting, like I said, some bad vibes. I started being like, something's not right. Um, there, there, you know, we've, we've moved over to Mandalore so quickly. You know, we're, we, we have this kind of straightforward plan. This isn't going to go exactly the way that they're saying it is. So I was getting a little bit of that, like nervousness, anxious energy halfway through this episode. And I appreciated that because I wasn't really feeling much of anything other than kind of like the odd laugh or the the you know it, it you know that looks really cool or that's a you know a cool lore point or whatever right those things are, are are awesome but what really what we care about when I, you know sorry really what i care about when i'm watching film or television is to feel something whether that's you know uh sadness or joy or laughter or um anxiety even anxiety can be a, an enjoyable feeling when it's being managed properly. So I thought that was, um, I thought that was well done here. Um, okay, continuing. Last week's episode featured pointless side missions that brought nothing to the series. <laughs> I don't know about that. It was just an excuse for a few famous faces to have a cameo in Star Wars. This person's using their 9 out of 10 review to spend most of it talking about last yeah. week's episode, which is funny. This time, we got, <laughs> this time, we got good storytelling, great action, and real tension. Who cares about Mando chasing a droid around a city? No one. Well, I'd speak for yourself. Um, yeah. Man. What the hell? Who cares about real world building, character development, sacrifice, human connection, and high stakes? Everyone. Listen, I think the point's clear. You thought this episode was better. Fair enough. We don't need to... We talk about this all the time. You don't need to uh, 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 stand on top of something to raise something else up. Right. right? Yeah. So last week's episode was good in its own way. I think as a, as a standalone episode, it's great, actually. One of the best. But um, it's fair to to criticize it as an element of a larger story. 
this episode specifically plays into that larger story. I think my opinion on this is that audiences in general are have not been trained to enjoy the one-off episode as much as maybe people who grew up on older television. Right, yeah, right? yeah. Or even those people might have forgotten. You know, you know, we used to get 22 episode seasons of these shows that and a lot of them was like one-off filler episodes and that was fine. It was fun. It was great. It was a great chance to do character building and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um obviously when you're in an eight eight episode season, any one episode that feels less vital has a much, you know, uh bigger microscope on it. Uh, so I, I kind of understand that. But at the same time, you know, I think you look back once the Mandalorian's all done, said and done, you'll kind of look back at some of those one-off episodes and say, you know what? All things considered, pretty good, pretty enjoyable. Um, and I think la- last week specifically will be fun because it's an homage to those those CSI shows and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it'll have its own kind of standing as, as, as that. Um, and it has like ties back into you know it, it, I'll be I'm a fan of any episode that has a Count Dooku reference. Oh right yeah, right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're we're not here to defend last week's episode. I think we did enough of that last week when we both said we quite, quite well enjoyed it. Um, but um, I think yeah, the points well well made. Generally speaking, I think people are going to enjoy these types of episodes more. Um, that feel weightier. This one certainly does, and that, I think that's justified. Okay, uh, so that's overall feelings and thoughts anything you want to add before we jump into the breakdown here uh no i don't think so okay let's get into it then so here is the play-by-play um on the previously on we were reminded of a lot of things uh mandalore not being cursed is a big one uh bo's mission to recruit more mandalorians again that was only from like two episodes ago by the way i think we brought this up last week but it is funny how the armor gives Bo this mission and then the next week Mando's just along for the ride and there's like no acknowledgement of, of that at all. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, again, we shouldn't necessarily be surprised. It's just kind of funny. Um, we also see Bo's fight with Axe Woves. Um, talk about too much infighting. That's brought up again this week, obviously, uh, quite pointedly. Um, the whole dark saber loophole situation is mentioned again. I think the less we talk about that, the better. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we get a reminder of Gideon's new Republic shuttle and the Beskar alloy. Kind of know where we understand how that wraps up. I think we're pretty close, by the way, in how our prediction of how that worked out. I don't know if he nailed it entirely. I don't remember anything that happens once I stop recording. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting how that wraps up. Yeah, like I'm and pretty sure. We also got a reminder of. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure like we were like. We're almost positive that like it wasn't actual Mandalorians that took him. We're like, that doesn't make any sense because like they don't like roll with him, right? Like they would have just killed him. Like it's like yeah, yeah. So we we kind of knew yeah, it was right. definitely not our group of Mandalorians. We're like, yeah, it's got to be something else. So yeah, right. And it's not like they had left the ship there as like a uh, like a setup. You know, oh, yeah, the Mandalorians yeah. are the ones who did it. You know, so it pointed back to something else, but at that, you know, what that is, is it turns out to be much more interesting than I, I think we anticipated. Um, and then lastly, we got Pershing being mind flayed by uh, Kane. And obviously that's the, with the title being the spies, you know, we need to be reminded that Kane is in fact an Imperial spy within the new Republic machine. Um, okay. So we, 
start the episode on Coruscant, and one of the coolest shots we've seen of Coruscant in a very long time, the lower levels, something we haven't seen since probably what... Uh, I mean, we've seen it in animated form, but we haven't seen it in live action form probably since what? The Attack of the Clones? Yeah. Uh, that whole sequence. Yeah, I'm like I'm trying to think. I don't remember if I don't know if we saw anything levels. in like Obi Wan or Andor at all, but not quite. I mean, we saw something though in in Obi Wan. We saw that they went to that other planet right. that, that was like very similar, right? Right. To, to this, similar but it feel, wasn't but yeah, Coruscant lower levels. Yeah, yeah. So, um, by the way, this is eleven ABY. So, just to be, I wanted to mention this because it's going to come up uh, shortly. Um, we are eleven years past the Battle of Yavin, right? So. Um, just to be clear, what ABY means. So we get this amazing shot of Coruscant's lower levels, very neon, um, Blade Runner vibes, Panda Express in the Twitch. Literally just mentioned this as I was about to say Blade Runner. Yeah, <laughs> massive Blade Runner vibes. You get this like um, mistiness. You know, they someone turned on the smoke machine um, and this thumping techno music it's very much reminds me of the uh star wars uh underworld show i don't know if you remember this this was a show that was going to be made oh years and years ago you know uh i want to say at least 10 years ago well before the sale of uh, lucasfilm to disney and george lucas had come up with they had written over 100 episodes of the show and it was going to be set on Coruscant, on the lower levels. It was kind of be about this underworld, right? But they never ended up making it. They said it would be too expensive to do at the time uh, for television. And they scrapped it. Concepts have come, been pulled into other things. Um, but there is actually a basically a, a half of an episode available to watch with finished um, effects that they use as a test reel. Um, so you can find that online to kind of get a sense of what that show was. It's a bit of a proto Mandalorian in, in, in a sense um, but again set on these lower levels so you get a very similar vibe and feel here really cool to be in this location again obviously it reminds me of Attack of the Clones like I mentioned and that scene where they go to that bar and that guy tries to sell Obi-Wan death sticks. yes yeah so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want to go home and rethink your life um, so Kane we get this really cool like over the shoulder uh, tracking shot uh, of Kane walking into a back alley and then scanning her face into a probe droid, giving her code to TK2755. And then we hear Gideon's theme, which we haven't heard for a long time, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really cool uh, element. Obviously, anytime we can use character themes, I think they do a lot of heavy lifting from a story standpoint and how they're deployed and kind of how they're mixed and all that kind of stuff so here obviously big return of moff gideon to the show and kane is giving him a report although he's in a rush because i guess he's he's missing his uh uh shadow council meeting and uh anyway so the the report is basically the pirates ran into trouble on navarro so when we said that, uh, um, what's his name? Captain Tiva was like, are we sure these pirates aren't connected to something? And we're like, that seems like a bit of a reach. Yeah. Right? Well, it turns out we were wrong and he was right the whole time because 
The Pirates were, in fact, backed by Moff Gideon. Although, again, it's like, eh, I guess so. You know, I, you know sure. Um, so the Pirates are backed by Gideon. They, Gideon assumed that they would be able to take back that planet fairly easily because, presumably, so they could get that facility back. Um, so that, um, although I thought that was destroyed. Didn't they blow that up? I thought they blew that uh, one up. Yeah, I kind of thought I'm it not sure was. Why Navarro special got a little bit Remind exploded. Me if they blew but, that up. I mean, I think they got it little because yeah, didn't they? I don't know. I can't remember. I feel like there was definitely some explosions, but maybe it would still be There's a there. whole sequence where they. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know, but either I mean, they wanted Navarro for some reason. Yeah. So they and they wanted to do it indirectly, and we'll talk about more about why they do that in that way. Um, and I guess like. Again, I, it's just like, okay, sure, pirates. He didn't think that the New Republic was going to step in. And he's like, well, how did this happen? The New Republic wasn't going to do anything. And she's like, well, they didn't. Turns out it was Mandalorians who were led by Bo and Din. And uh, Moff is like, that doesn't make any sense. Those tribes are sworn enemies, <laughs> right? Kind of giving us a little bit of more context. You know, I've heard people mention that it would have been helpful to maybe have a little bit more of this... Um, this dialogue uh, uh, and kind of context delivered earlier in the season. I mean, and I think that's we got I think it. That's fair to say we got it in other seasons, though. It's kind of like a little. Really, there's, I mean, I mean, because kind of had. Yeah, it's just I feel like when we've met, like when Bo-Katan meets Din for the first time, like you know, she kind of talks to him about, or you know, says the whole that they're zealots yes, and that kind of I stuff, remember. and then. You know, we've had the kind of like back and forth with the armorer as well, being like, oh, they've lost their way, blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah, we've definitely yeah, that known. happened on another show. Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, so, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so we kind of do know that they, their quote unquote, like values didn't necessarily align until recently. But Right, right. But I, that's why I think the, the term sworn enemies feels like yeah, that's strong a bit much there, but maybe that's just imperial language. That's just kind of how they talk to each other. Yeah. Um, so really cool that we get to see this probe droid on Coruscant, although it's freaking massive. I always forget how big probe yeah, droids are. Huge. Um, super big and or Viper droids sometimes known as. And how is it hiding in that alleyway without anyone spotting it and then like how does it know to arrive at that moment i guess like all this stuff is kind of like it doesn't matter hand wavy stuff but yeah um i don't know whatever there's probably enough viper droids on coruscant that one can slip by without notice yeah um especially because they were only a few years removed from the empire having occupied coruscant obviously uh okay so any final thoughts on this opening sequence, uh, Blade Runner sequence and yeah. uh, initial chat? <laughs> I mean, Gideon. I, yeah, I always like to see it. Like we kind of just said a, a Viper droid or a probe droid in live action. Um, yeah, it, it it just obviously solidifies kind of like, okay, he's back and like we're really getting into it. So I like this as a uh, an opening scene to kind of jump into the episode. Yeah, I mean... Were you surprised that Gideon returned here? No, not. not at all, really. I was like, he's obviously yeah. like coming back. Like, I don't think it needed some big secretive reveal. It was just kind of like, okay, yep, we knew that yeah. he got extracted from that ship, and then like he's already back doing what he's doing. So, right. So I think, I think it's. I don't think anyone was surprised that Gideon appeared in that hollow. What was surprising, probably to people, was what happens next, which is 
we cut to uh, the opposite side of the hollow communication, and it is with Gideon in person. And he is walking uh, along a hallway guarded by what appear to be Mandalorian super commandos and uh, this hallway that has like ray shields that are very similar to the ones that uh, were on Naboo by the, yes. the I guess it was yeah. the reactor chamber uh, where Qui-Gon was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> really cool idea. I think they'll probably play into the episode next week. We actually also got a musical connection to Duel of the Fates this week as well. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm going to go on a limb here and say that there's going to be a really cool sequence with those doors, those racial scenario things um, next week in the finale. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't think you go through the trouble of creating <laughs> those for a one hallway walk scene. But you know what I'm saying? Do you think that they would redo that again, even though it would be like a little bit cheesy to kind of like do that whole, like, a, you know what I mean? To rip that off almost? Uh, I think they would do it. They're going to do an homage. To yeah, it. It fair enough. Like straight up someone chasing another person and then having to like wade and there being like a whole. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like I, I think it'll be slightly different, but I mean, the existence of those race shields as they are now is already an homage. To yes. Yeah. Episode one. So, yeah. Um, so maybe not. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe yeah, that's too on the nose, but. I don't know. This show sometimes is pretty on the nose. So, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll go. I'm going to go ahead and say that those are going to be used next week. We also see some cloning tanks. So he's still trying out his whatever cloning stuff that he's doing is still happening over here as well. Now resumed now, um, which we, by the way, find out that this, we don't know this at the time when we start this opening sequence, but this is on Mandalore on his secret base. Um, I think the one way that they throw you off the trail on that is because later in this, uh, sequence when he's talking to the the council, um, he mentions that the Mandalorians are pre- preparing to retake their home planet, which is weird way of phrasing the planet that he's on. But yeah, you know, yeah, again, it's a little bit of a. I think that's a fair misdirect, um, so that you don't that the surprise later feels much more uh, satisfying. Um, what did you make of these super commandos? Oh yeah, I thought it was this whole kind of scene of him walking through. I was like, whoa! I was like, where is he? I'm like, this is really, really cool. Um, I wasn't too sure if those were actual people in the suits or whether they were just the suits. Like, I was like, are those like, mm. you know? Um, I think those are people. I think so too. Think but I'm like, guards. what? They just like stand there? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You'd think like yes. patrolling would yeah. be better, but it's just weird that they're just I like this, standing. I yeah, <laughs> I thought the same thing, but like, the to be honest, there's a lot of times in Star Wars where people just stand around. Yeah, yeah, and like our guards. So yeah, unless I'm not too. Sometimes it's there. just because it looks cool, uh, right? So, <laughs> yeah, just entirely because in this case, entirely because it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. So these, by the way, are variant designs on what we saw in Rebels. So more Rebels mm-hmm. connections here. So in Rebels, we saw what. Under Gar Saxon, I think yes, it was. Yes, Gar Saxon. Um, under Gar Saxon, who was a traitor to the Empire. Although, based on what we hear from Bo today, that we're, we're, it's reframed a little bit. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of discuss that. But um, Gar Saxon has this uh, 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 platoon. He has this like army of Mandalorians who are loyal to the Empire. And they had reforged their armor into this like white 
um, almost Stormtrooper-esque, but yeah. more in line with a traditional Mandalorian armor. Um, this is similar to that, but a little bit evolved. Um, it's not, they don't quite look as much like Mandalorian armor, although they are, as we find out later, made of Beskar, which is pretty cool. Um, but they look, someone mentioned this on, on online somewhere about them kind of being maybe like a proto version of, of, of a design that they'll maybe lo- use for the First Order later on. I don't really see that necessarily. Maybe for the Sith troopers, there's a bit of a connection there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know. More to me, this more just feels like a natural progression from the uh, the the super commandos. Now, obviously, these aren't Mandalorians. These are uh, Imperial soldiers who are equipped with Mandalorian armor. So they're like a less dangerous version of the Mandalorian super commandos. But they do have the jetpacks and all the other kind of um, uh, gadgets. Although I guess by foundling rules, they guess they, they could technically be Mandalorians, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really thought those were cool. I was blo- like the first second I saw those, I was like, that's awesome. So that's one of those like massive, you know, thumbs up to this episode. Very cool. Okay. So Gideon enters uh, the briefing room and we see a hollow meeting going on. Um, it's already underway between what we find out is an Imperial Shadow Council. Now, a couple things. Um, first one that jumps to mind is very much reminiscent of like the Jedi Council in the way that they had their yes, like yeah. meetings where this always this always this always chuffed me. I thought it was so funny always, but like how um, some Jedi would like sit in a chair as a hologram somehow. Yeah. Like they were sitting and then they would be hologrammed into a chair in the Jedi council <laughs> chamber. Um, I was thought, I just thought that was so funny. Um, anyway, so in this case that they're not doing that, thankfully uh, it's just busts uh, primarily speaking. But again, in this kind of circular room scenario, very, I think uh, purposely rem- uh, reminiscent of the Jedi council there. Um, when they come in, they talk about how they don't want to show too much strength because they want to appear as a disconnected, um, disconnected uh, groups of warlords mm-hmm. and not reveal their their secret, which is interesting because this is exactly the same um, methodology that the rebels used, right? Yeah, uh, prior to the rebel alliance coming together. So that's kind of that's this you know uh, it's like a, it's like poetry it yeah. rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I, I I do think it's really cool to he- see this. So okay. Um, Give me your thoughts on the Shadow Council. I'm going to pull up some Wikipedia. Yeah, um, I was a big fan of the scene. Um, I think it's, I don't know, it's always fun when you get a kind of creepy bad guy scene, and like calling it the Shadow Council, sure. also very cool, um, very ominous. Yeah, I love how they never shy away from using like the most <laughs> yeah. like evil terminology ever. Amazing. The, the Project Necromancer. Yeah, and, right. Uh, uh, the Death Star. Love which, it. Which, by the way, you know, its code name was actually, you know, Stardust. Stardust which sounded yeah. much more, um, yeah, yeah. So much, much, Bright. much softer. But then, like, you know what? Stardust, not good enough. We need to call, this needs to have some sort of really scary name. Yeah. How about Death Star, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it all leans into their imperial methodology. Of, yes. You know, and the, the, the Tarkin doctrine yeah. of using fear, right? But, uh, but yeah. um, it is funny, it, you know, out of context to be like, yeah, you know, to name something Project Necromancer and have it 
have so your funny. council called the Shadow Council. You know, the rebels would never do that. No, you know what I'm saying? no, That's why it's yeah. So it's it, it's always good. I and it's kind of fun even to see not the bickering, but you know, it's th- there's always kind of a bit of a power struggle. I feel like when we get these sort of imperial groups talking to one another, you know, there's always the guy who like thinks he's in charge. Um, but then you realize it's like definitely not him. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, yeah, running right, the show, right. but, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, we, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just fun. Um, I've had something else I was going to say, but I don't know. I, I lost my train Listen, of if thought. It comes to, if it comes to yeah. mind, you let me know. Um, so, okay, here's, this is from Wikipedia. Now the shadow council was introduced as a part of a, trilogy of novels, the Aftermath novels that came out just around the same time as Episode 7. What's interesting about the Aftermath novels, which I don't think you can say for a lot of other Star Wars novels set in kind of um, the most consistent timelines, you know, ignoring things like the High Republic, etc. Is that basically everything that happens in Aftermath in terms of setup for the the rest of the sequel trilogy and uh, and now being you know paid off here in Mandalorian have been pretty well maintained as close to how they were laid out in Aftermath, including by the way um, how how uh, uh, um, what's his name's armor um, was you was found on Tatooine and all that stuff right right like, all that all of that plays out in um, you know Bo, sorry Boba Fett's armor. I, again, my sick brain here. We've got a we've got a pregnant brain and sick brain. Yeah. So people, <laughs> great combo. Be, uh, 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 yeah, amazing podcast. <laughs> um. Anyway, so they were set up in this aftermath trilogy. Really great series of books. I I highly recommend reading them or listening to them as an audiobook is what I did. Um. And they were by Chuck Wendig. Um. So again, they, it provides a lot of information about like the state of the new Republic and kind of what happened after with the empire after it fell and all this kind of things that aren't really touched on in the movies at all. So it's nice of a, this show to pick up some of those threads and B um, kind of pull in something explicitly as kind of small as the shadow council. So the shadow council reading from Wikipedia here was a council consisting of delegations from remnants of the galactic empire during the new Republic era. Members of the Shadow Council secretly coordinated their individual efforts to subvert the New Republic while they maintained an illusion as unorganized remnant warlords to conceal their true strength. Mm-hmm. The body was originally created by Fleet Admiral Gallius Rax. Are you familiar with Gallius Rax? No. No. So he has not been brought into... We have never seen him in live action or animation or even... Oh, okay. Anything. Yeah. He's just appeared in the books. Um just like Grand Ad- or uh, yeah, Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, I want to say that was uh, that's her full title. Um, she's another character who was leading, you know, kind of the main Imperial remnant um, prior to the Battle of Jakku. She was one of the founding members of the Shadow Council, so her not being here is, I think, pretty interesting. Gallus Rax specifically was a character who. I don't know. I think that maybe they wanted to. They, Wendig, Chuck Wendig, maybe thought would would be used more as a part of the ongoing, you know, uh, uh, canon in the new sequel movies after he wrote these books, but was largely ignored. Um, and so, you know, Snoke kind of became much more 
prominent character, which, and then we know how that ends. Yes. Somehow Palpatine <laughs> returns. But yeah. Gallius Rax was, one, <laughs> once again, reading from uh, Wikipedia here, once known as Galley and codenamed Operator, was a male individual who became the counselor to the Empire during the waning days of the Galactic Empire. Mentored by Darth Sidious and, Gal- and um, Darth Sidious, Sith Lord and Galactic Emperor. Yeah, okay, we know that. Rax ascended through the ranks of the Imperial Navy, gaining command of the Executor Class Star Dreadnought Ravager. However, his true purpose as the Empire's protege was to ensure the success of, quote, the contingency, a clandestine directive to destroy the Galactic Empire in the event of Sidious's death. He was also born on Jakku. That's another important thing. Um, was orphaned as a child. Uh, met Sheev, um, Palpatine, um, uh, the, the, the public persona of Darth Sidious. Uh, adopting the name Gallius Rax, he became a decorated Imperial officer during the Age of the Empire. He was serving as an admiral when the Emperor was killed at the Battle of Emperor at the Battle of Endor, an event which triggered the contingency and Rax's role in carrying it out. On the surface. He took steps to stabilize the Empire as the Galactic Civil War drew to an end, such as creating the Shadow Council, right, in secret. However, Rax leaked intelligence to the New Republic, further undermining the Empire. He maneuvered his way into a position of great power, sidelining Grand Admiral Ray Sloan and Grand Vizier Masamita, despite his official role as advisor to the Shadow Council. Rax was emperor in all but name. So there you go. Okay. That's uh, that's Gallius Rax, Gallius Rax. Really interesting character that largely gets sidelined. I I don't know if they're going to bring him into quote-unquote live action or if they're going to... He's technically in canon here, but that was true about the Ahsoka novel too, and they re- they retcon that. Right. So, you know, we'll see. It's just interesting that we've never heard him mentioned anywhere at all, including Sloane, which I do think we'll see Sloane. She does appear, I want to say, in... Uh, Star Wars Squadrons, I think she appears in that, and um, I think we I've, I've seen her in other places as well. Um, but largely speaking, she also hasn't really had a significant role outside of those books. Okay, yeah. So, all right. So that's the Shadow Council. Um, at some point in the um, during the whole process of the Shadow Council, it was disbanded. I'm pretty sure that's what happens um, in the books. Um, but yeah, sorry, you can say. Following the Battle of Jakku, the Shadow Council apparently disintegrated with the old Empire. So that hasn't happened yet. I don't think the Battle of Jakku has happened yet, in as far as I understand. Um, when is the Battle of Jakku? Let's find out. Battle of Jakku. This is why knowing the the year ABY of Jakku ABY is uh, the the Battle of Jakku is taking place. Yada yada yada. Battle of Jakku. Let's see here. Also referencing... So, so that's untrue. I'm, a, I'm an idiot. It's 5 <laughs> ABY. So we're actually six years removed from that event. Okay. Um, but that means... Okay, so here's what I'm guessing happened. Okay, I'm kind of piecing this together as we, as we go here. I think what happened was the initial Shadow Council, which was undermined by Gallius Rax, right? And eventually caused the loss of what we know as the Empire um, at the Battle of Jakku was reformed under Gideon and Thrawn. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, characters that don't really appear, um, you know, uh, 
who don't really appear um, in the Shadow Council previously, right? So um, interesting here. So this is also from Wikipedia. Following the Battle of Jakku, the Shadow Council, Shadow Council uh, apparently disintegrated with the old empire. With the deaths of Rax, Obdubor, and Tashu, the only known surviving members were Sloan, Hux, Rand, and Borum. Rand escaped the destruction of the Ravager and led his own Imperial forces, yada, yada, yada. Sloan and Hux commanded the Imperial fleet officials and regrouped as an Imperial remnant in the unknown regions. We caught up with Hux in this episode, right? So yes. Sloan might, is still likely working with him and um, uh, Gilead Pelion and, and of course, uh, Thrawn in the unknown regions. By approximately 9 ABY, the Shadow Council has been reorganized and grown, reorganized into the first galactic empire and grown to include delegations from other remnants of the empire. These new members included Moff Gideon, Captain Gilead, uh, Captain Gilead Pelion, and a list of six other Imperial warrior, warlords who we don't know who those people are. By the way, they're not even named in the IMDb, the other characters that we see uh, on the Shadow Council. So Jody Long plays a warlord. Hemki Madera plays a warlord. Ron Botita plays a warlord. Uh, and Marco Khan. All of them have very cool looks. I got to be honest. Um, what did you make of the kind of the, the visual stylings here of these quote unquote warlords? Yeah, um, I just kind of like the whole sneakiness of them. I don't know if I really have a favorite. Um, I think it's definitely fun to see Hux because we're obviously very familiar with that name with um, General Hux being in the his son being in the First Order. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's always yes, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we get dropped a new, you know the Operation Necromancer, whatever the hell they're calling it, which we don't really know what that is, but we can kind of assume what that is because yes. necromancers I in terms of... Pretty good yeah, <laughs> yeah next, necromancers in terms of like Dungeons and Dragons, like bring things back from the dead, right? So, um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, in general, I just think it's, it's fun when we get these shadowy... Um, Imperials yeah, that are that are yeah like they're they're fun so mm-hmm. I mean I always like to see some conniving scheming um, big bad guys so yeah me too it's just I like I've always said it's always good to have a fun bad guy yeah right? yeah and this is yeah um, this feels like good content it's uh, not like I don't know sometimes like I said I hated that pirate king I was like not a big fan of him as a big bad but the this is more intimidating this is more Star Wars to me and I yeah this is what I think of when I think of like bad guys in Star Wars. Right. Um, okay. So we're spending a lot of time on this scene, but there's a reason for that. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> um, so that's the Shadow Council. Interesting um, how it kind of uh, kind of plays in here. Well, let's mention, let's talk about the two kind of key players here. Um, Brendel Hux, um, obviously the father of Armitage Hux. Um, interestingly enough, um, played by the brother of the guy who plays. Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> so, yes, man. Well, so, Brendel is yeah, such it's a really I, bad I name. A <laughs> like Brendel, it sounds like a name. <laughs> you don't like it? No, I hate it. It sounds like a name that like a influencer would like name her child while trying to be like super unique. Where it's like, oh, it's like Brendan and Wendell mixed together. We mixed together our dad's names. Like <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, it's true. It just sounds it does, like a, it does sound it does sound like, like a wiener name. I don't know. Brendel. <laughs> so yeah. Um played by Brian Gleason, brother to Dom Hall Dom Hall Gleason, um, who plays Armitage Hux. Um that's a I love that uh kind of 
world building back, you know, behind the scenes yeah. stuff. I think that's really cool. So, um, I like also his look here. He looks a little disheveled, right? Like he's not, yeah. he's clearly not all put together. You know, I think that's a, that's a kind of a good illusion. And obviously we know he's a kind of a crappy dad. So, um, <laughs> good to, it's nice to kind of get a, 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 a face to the name. Right. Um, reading from Wikipedia here, Brendel Hux was a human male who served the Galactic Empire. Prior to his service to the Empire, Hux had served as a junior officer in the Grand Army of the Republic, communicating tactics and strategy determined by Jedi generals. Some four years before the Battle of Yavin, he was Commandant of the Arcanus Academy. Hux created the Commandant's Cadets, a secret society within the Academy made up of hand-picked cadets. After the Imperials' defeat at Endor, he was uh, trapped by the New Republic during the Siege of Arcanus. However, he escaped with the help of bounty hunter, um, some bounty hunter I've never heard of before, uh, on the orders of Fleet Admiral Gallius Rax, who appointed him a member of the new Shadow Council. He eventually sired an illegitimate son, Armitage, who would go on to become a general for the First Order as one of its first leaders. Um, he was also the one who established the, the new policy for lack of a better term, to abduct children. Oh, great. <laughs> to become stormtroopers. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Love that. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, this Brendel. Um, anyway, this is him in his prime, obviously. Uh, I feel like he looked... I feel like by the time he gets old, he's got to be like extra ugly. That's how I feel about that. <laughs> no offense to the actor. I'm talking about the character. Um, okay. So uh, that's one of them. Um, the next major character on the Shadow Council here is uh, Gilad Pelion. Now, Pelion is a character that I think is largely associated with his presence in the Legends continuity um, and was uh, um, often associated with Grand Admiral Thrawn. So this is reading from the Legends side of Wikipedia. Um, da, 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 the Battle of Endor, um, the Chimera, which is, um, of course, Thrawn's ship, fell under Pelion's command, and he issued the retreat order. Captain Pelion remained one of the fleet's more prominent officers until the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who selected the Chimera as his flagship and made Pelion his right-hand man. Um, so he's kind of like, again, we see him kind of being... Uh, Thrawn's kind of lackey here, right? right? right. Like, Whoa, let's not make any hasty decisions. Thrawn's not back yet, right? So that's interesting. As a as a part of canon, I think we've actually heard his name in Rebels in the finale um, when Thrawn is kind of like, "What's going on? What's happening? Get me Pelion, right?" So I think he has been mentioned before, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, he's never. I don't think he's ever appeared anywhere. Um, other than in the books. Um, yeah, he appeared in Star Wars Rebels, Family Reunion, and Farewell. First appearance and voice only at that time. So there you go. First pictured today um, as a part of uh, The Mandalorian. Okay. And then previously as a part of Thrawn Treason, um, the the book. Okay. So um, just quickly on, uh, on Pelion. Uh, human male officer, served as a captain in the naval forces of the Galactic Empire, commanding the Imperial Star Destroyer Harbinger. So that's a little bit different than the uh, Chimera, Chimera, which I think obviously we see destroyed, I think, at the end of uh, Rebels. As a part of Grand Admiral Balani's Savit's Third Fleet, when Savit was exposed as a traitor 
who is stealing components from Project Stardust. Pelion sided with Grand Admiral Thrawn and Commodore Karen Farrow and helped them arrest his superior. After Savit was relieved of his duty, Pelion and the Harbinger were, assigned, were reassigned to assist Thrawn's 7th Fleet. Together with Thrawn, Pelion participated in the Imperial blockade of the planet Lothal until it was liberated by rebel specters um, and their allies shortly before the Battle of Yavin. That's at literally zero ABY. That happens the same year as, as the Battle of Endor. Uh, during the liberation, all Imperial starships present were destroyed by flocks of spacefaring Purgle, and Pelion's communication with the Grand Admiral was quickly cut off. Pelion survived the Galactic Civil War and, w- and was still in service to the Imperial Remnant by 9 ABY, during which he was re- a member of the Secret Shadow Council alongside leaders and warlords such as Moff Gideon. What's interesting is they keep using 9 ABY here as the year that the new Shadow Council was established, despite the fact that this place... this takes place in 11 ABY, so that there must be something, another bit of lore somewhere out there that establishes that. Oh, okay, yeah. As a part of the council, Pelion stressed to his fellow members the importance Thrawn's eventual return would play in the Empire's resurgence, though he was faced with skepticism by Gideon. I think that last sentence was put in by someone who just watched this episode. Yeah. (laughs) So... um, Well, yeah, again, like... (laughs) Uh, Thoughts on this guy? I'm just so... I mean, I'm not necessarily about thoughts on him, um, but I'm I'm just so curious how they're going to write in this kind of like return of Thrawn and why he gives a shit to like rebuild the Empire. Um, I, I, I'm just that like, is a challenge. Yeah, and I'm like, there's obviously got to be there's going to be some kind of backstory with him and Ezra and how where the Purgles take them after Rebels. Mm-hmm. All that time that passes in between, which is a good amount of time. Um, and then yeah. kind of when he returns. So it's just like when he returns, I'm so curious why he cares to return to rebuild the empire that is fallen. Um, right. But I guess because he's chiss. we shall see. Yeah. Like it's just his his allegiances are like for his own reasons. Right. Kind of at the at the beginning of the whole Clone right. Wars and everything. Um so yeah, I'm but he's just, an outcast from the Chiss, right? He's not yes. he's not welcome there necessarily. Yeah. So I mean, so, it's interesting. I think what we see in the Ahsoka trailer is what appears to be the the bridge of a Chiss ship. I, that's I think it's a, uh, could I didn't come up with that theory, be? but it's a pretty sound theory in my opinion. I'd have to look. Um, um with, but it's the scene where where we see Thrawn. The yeah, first like time the, the back, back of him head. or whatever. But uh, yeah, because yeah. I mean, like his whole reasons like the empire is kind of they find him right on a planet yes um and he joins them because that's who is in power at the time you know um so yeah i'm just like i'm just very curious about how they're going to tie in the story of him and ezra and how they make their way back and um why he cares about helping rebuild an empire that has fall into a shadow council at this point. Yeah, I think that's a really I think that's a really good point. Like why should he give a shit? Yeah. Um, um you know, so Jason Telford obviously friend of the show, uh Patreon su- supporter live here with us on YouTube. So everyone give him a hand. Um mentioned his name earlier. Um says here, I'm expecting an origin of the first order at some point. Had Thrawn be involved? I mean, I think at this point what they are doing is establishing a lot of the the stuff that we'll get for the sequel trilogy, including the First Order. I think there's no accident here yeah. that Hux is included in this Shadow Council. 
That being said, I wonder if there's a kind of uh, a split in uh, priorities between the members of the Shadow Council, Thrawn being one of them, and the the kind of the the Hux and the Necromancer of it all being another. But maybe it's more interesting to have Thrawn be involved directly with the rise of the First Order. But I mean, here's probably, the problem. but yeah. Okay, and this is... This is a problem that this show faces and every show set in this time period faces, which is we know where all this leads, right? Yes. <laughs> we know exactly what what happens with the First Order. We know what happens to the New Republic. And so how do you create stakes for a big battle? Like we have this movie that's going to be made by um, uh, 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 Dave Filoni and, and it's, it's going to have the culmination of all of this Mando stuff likely to be some sort of version of heir to the empire, right? That's going to have Thrawn, there's be big space battles, et cetera, et cetera. Very cool. Right. Definitely not a problem with that. But how do you make that matter if we know that it's a, that Imperial remnant doesn't matter because the force order comes around relatively soon and B, um, you know, we don't know what happens to Thrawn, but if it's really just, he came, he comes back and then loses. He doesn't really become he doesn't really become a very scary villain then, right? Right. Um, so I think I think they need to figure that out. And I, I don't know, I don't have the answer to that, but I, it's um it's gonna be tough, I think. Yeah, and I feel like that's okay. part of why we gotta keep moving. Yeah, I feel like that is part of stuff. why like Gideon is kind of like, okay, well, where is this guy, right? You you keep talking about him, you keep bringing him up, but everything's so secretive about his return, right? So Gideon's kind of like, well, he's not here, so let's keep moving with our own shit right trust me trust me yeah right it's, it's any any day now mm-hmm. <laughs> um so you know this is where i think there maybe could be a split in this new shadow council gideon basically says listen if he's not coming um then maybe we should look to new leadership um and uh starts asking about you know the the all the what do they call it all the supplies and and the Resources, resources that yeah. they that these people yeah that they're being handed over to people in the the unknown regions right they're like okay so you guys are accumulating all this stuff and not sharing with us so maybe we should take a look at that um at first they try to deflect away from that questioning by pointing to the to the whole project necromancer thing it's like hey well project Necr- necromancer is all about new leadership and by old by new they mean old old new leadership right a more palpatine Right. That's right. the I think that's the idea. And by the way, I think it's important to note we've been working under the assumption that Gideon has been in charge of trying to revive um uh Palpatine. But it appears that he's actually doing his own cloning experiments um around force sensitive people and not associated with with this Project Necromancer situation, right. which clearly is implied to be the Imperial Revival thing. So um you know, and he denies it here. He said, I'm not working on any cloning. I don't know what you're talking yeah. <laughs> about. They bring up Pershing and his research, right? Um, so I think like I think that's what closes the loop on on the Pershing thing. It's like, oh, his research is lost. Um and, right. but for now they say whatever that means, I, I think well, he'll probably have another role later in the series. I think it's like, oh, his research is lost, but I feel like Gideon probably has some of it, a good chunk of it. <laughs> Um, that he's just right. doing himself yeah. or whatever, right? So, 
Yeah, but I mean, they probably got only so far, and he's right, not a cloning right. a specialist. Yeah. So what's he gonna like? How much can he possibly do on his own? Yeah. Right? But then, um, yeah. but you'd think he would want him back, though. Then, right? Like, why would he let what's her I name? I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what they're trying to do. Um. So. Gideon deflects from that. He's like, he's, this like this is like a bunch of, it's like a little sparring match going on in here, right? So Gideon um, uh, is accused of his own cloning experiments. He deflects by talking about um, how they're waiting around for this grand plan to take shape, but, you know, they're, they can't wait forever. Um, Pelion and Hux, who are both in the unknown regions, um, are amassing resources and not sharing them. So Gideon requested <clears throat> from them, specifically, three Praetorian guards. Now, I don't think we've actually heard the term Praetorian Guards used in universe before. We knew that that's what the guards in The Last Jedi were called. Yes, yeah. Uh, because of, you know, books and other resources. Obviously, one of the coolest fights in the sequel trilogy, for sure. Uh, maybe all of Star Wars. I love that movie. So that that fight sequence is very awesome. Um, and they look super cool. We get to, we get to see them later on, but um, they are mentioned here. They joke about how He's probably worried about an assassination attempt. Um, to be honest, he kind of is. Uh, yeah, mean, 100%. He kind of like looks at it like, oh, yeah, sure, that's what it is. But yeah, he kind of is, right? Um, and then he mentions how he wants reinforcements to his TIE Interceptor squadron and bombers. So now we know where those TIE Interceptors and bombers came from in the, what, third or second episode, whatever that was. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. Because... They're like, well, where do they come from? There's no, you know, capital ship for them to launch right. from. Well, they actually launched from, from Mandalore. From Mandalore, which makes so much sense because Bo-Katan's castle was within that system. So they're close yes. enough. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yes. that makes like tons of sense now. I'm like, okay. Makes too much sense. Almost, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's kind of cool looking back at that now and being like, oh, okay, that, that, that works. Um, uh, and uh, they're like, well, why do you need all this stuff? And he's like, well, it's because there could be Mandalorians, you know. Uh, uh, making a resurgence and this kind of like put some fear into the rest of the shadow council like oh shit well that would be a problem for our plans yeah <laughs> so um, we'll allow you to have these resources um, and uh, and then they basically he does this whole thing of long live the empire right who shall rid the uh, rid the galaxy of the Mandalorians once and for all very classic villain type speech Cut to title card. Yeah. Very cool opening sequence. Any other thoughts on this opening sequence? We no, I think it's, it. yeah. <laughs> we deep dived it. I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Um, now to Navarro. Um, we arrive at uh, Navarro. There's cleanup happening from the pirate attack. Um, and this is when this Mandalorian fleet arrives. We get this kind of like overcast shadow situation supposed to make you be worried at first maybe the pirates are back um but no it's just the mandalorians um grief's uh droid is concerned that an imperial shuttle is arriving which is very funny um but uh grief corrects him uh basically saying first of all a it's not a shuttle it's a light cruiser and b um it's they're not uh an enemy it's not even the empire they're our friends right um love seeing the like massive mandalorian um paint job on the bottom oh, of the cruiser. so I cool. cool i hope they make a really cool lego set <laughs> yeah i'm sure they will yeah. and, you know so this reminds me by the way of in um in in other content we hear about how i think legends primarily we hear about how the new republic um stole 
you know, Star, Destro- Star Destroyers. They had their own Super Star Destroyer at one point in the New Republic fleet. Um, and they basically, to, to mark them as not Imperial anymore, they drew massive um, uh, Rebellion logos uh, yeah. onto the uh, the side of them. Very similar to how they've done it here, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, very cool. And, oh, same coloring, by the way, too, which is also awesome. Um, so um, Mando, uh, we go to the Mando camp, uh, the Mandalorian camp, and the armorer watches as the fleet lands near the base. We hear um, some interesting ominous um, music, intense music playing here. I, I do like it. I think the idea here is um, to kind of raise tension for what will be this standoff that comes in a moment here. So Bo um, and Din aboard their ship. By the way, Grogu is sitting on Bo's lap, which is very cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, are uh, worried about the coming introduction. They're like, these people don't know each other. Uh, they don't like each other. As Gideon calls it earlier, they're sworn enemies. Although, I th- again, I think that's a little overblown. Um, so how is this going to go? You know, I, Din makes a good point. Well, they're either going to get along or there's going to be a lot of death. So they're going to get along. Um, Bo and uh, her Mandalorians approach the uh, the kind of, I guess, uh, Din's covert or the Children of the Watch after the ships land. Um, there's, again, this kind of classic Western standoff scenario where they send the kids inside because who knows what's going to happen, right? And uh, Bo, I, I love this moment because I think it, it does a lot of storytelling without any dialogue, which is Bo and her forces who have similar color schemes remove their helmets. Yeah. Or, as, of course, it cuts back to the others and they don't remove their helmets at all. So that's interesting. And uh, I also noticed here that one of the Children of the Watch Mandalorians has like a shul- like this leather, almost shoulder pauldron scenario going on. I thought that was really, really cool. Oh, I didn't notice little, that. That's something I noticed. Um, love, love more pauldrons. <laughs> yeah, I, I you, want more of those. My favorite, of course, being though the cl- <laughs> you love your pauldron. the clone ones, um, which are I love a good pauldron. Um, the clone ones are the best because they're like angular and they've yeah. got like more of this kind of like modern styling. Whereas like the even the New Republic ones and the Imperial ones are very like rounded. This one's quite rounded like that as well. Not quite as cool in my opinion, but still cooler than no pauldron. So, um. The tension of this whole scene is cut by uh, the armor hitting her kind of hammers together um, and welcoming them all and proposing uh, a feast. I did see a note about uh, Emily Swallow, the actress who plays the armor, mentioning that uh, one of the themes that people she hopes uh, take away from this season is, um, you know, embracing change and um, coming, you know, meeting people who are different from you halfway yeah that kind of thing yeah yeah um which of course does pour a little bit of cold water on my she's the spy um (laughs) theory but i'm not convinced yet i I still think she might be a a a bad player i just get a bad vibe from her you don't you didn't pick up on that at all no i point during this not really i yeah um i just i I don't know i get more bad vibes from like axe woves than anybody else (laughs) Um, really yeah axe is just a just axe axe i think is easy to read because he's just a guy who's kind of right. full of himself yeah right like um, you know he's very staunch in his beliefs but he's not like a clever yeah you know, backstabber no type guy i don't yeah i don't know i'm just uh, yeah i'm not too sure if we're looking for another spy or not within like the mandalorian group here but 
I, yeah, I mean, it has to be. I guess, right? yeah. I mean, unless I, it's some of these new ones that we kind of meet in this episode, but I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, so really because, like, what are they? I mean, I don't know. I know I, it's just that's what I mean. I'm like, I would, I would like them to reveal it. Yeah, there's not that many options. Yeah, <laughs> I just like how is the armor like? You know where? What? How? Like how? Where is she going? How is she communicating? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff is kind of where I get hung yeah. up on. Like, how can it be her? But yeah, I mean, maybe it's still the. uh R seven. He's still the Republic spy. Yeah, he's still there. Right. So I get that's. I guess technically possible. R four. I think is it R four? Right? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's R four. Yeah. Um, you know, I I want to think. Well, maybe it's like the Shadow Council. They're you know, but like not. They're not yeah. spies, right? So that's where I feel like you know it loses me a little bit there. I I want. I don't want it to think. Here's the thing. Every time I've had bad bad vibes about the armor before. Um, I've been proven wrong, so it's likely that I'll be proven wrong here again. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you um, never know. Just I've been I, there, and there's one music, there's one musical cue, and then that again that mentioned that scene, which feels completely unnecessary of the armor arriving at the fleet, dropping off those people. Right, right. Um, so I, you know, in my opinion, um, those that the musical cue which we get in a moment here, and um, that scene together. There's also, I guess, the scene where she talks about wanting to return the people to the fleet which also raises concerns for me um that give me a bad vibes but um yeah i don't know also her comments the actress's comments kind of play the other way so we'll see um all right so grief karga arrives after everyone's kind of the tension has been cut um and uh, the armor proposes a feast um and he delivers a bottle of booze he gets, <laughs> yeah. he gets din a bottle of wine basically direct from Coruscant. I love, by the way, that his little line here is like, this is right from Coruscant, so you might want to wait for a smaller occasion to open it up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. It's like, well, you don't want to waste it on all these people. Yeah. Right? Such a grief thing um, to say. Yeah, totally. And then he's like, oh, but I have another surprise for you. So cut back to Grief's office and we see IG-11 arriving, but being driven by one of the Anzellans and they're like, no, 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 this isn't IG-11. This is IG-12 now, which <laughs> I don't know. I I call shenanigans on that because it's the same droid. In fact, right. it's less of a droid because it doesn't even have its memory chips. So what do you mean it's IG-12? It's not an improvement. It's not the next one. So I, I don't know about that one. I don't. Maybe they just need to find a way to distinguish between what IG-11 was as a character. Probably, and what this yeah. IG-12 unit is. Um, but again, bringing this full circle from that first episode this season. Um, it turns out the Anzellans stripped it down to its core functions, and now it needs a pilot to operate. And I think as Grief Karga mentions best, it's more like a vehicle. Right, yeah. <laughs> think of it more like a vehicle. Uh, Din, though, has concerns. My favorite line, though, is, I think he's too young to operate heavy machinery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, so good. Um, this scene is really funny. Oh, I love it. I loved it. So I was cackling. Like just, yeah. So like I, you talk about like what works for this episode. This totally works. I think it's like top tier comedy. Yeah. That totally fits the tone and, and of the series and all that stuff. It's very good. Um, so he puts, he's like, well, I don't know. Let, let's see if he fits. Right. So they put it, they put him in there and, uh, and Din's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this is going to work. And then because he's got this whole yes, no button situation <laughs> yeah. going on, um, he's like, 
uh, no. He's like, and then Din's response was, what do you mean? Yeah, no? what do you mean? No. Which is so good. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, you can't answer. No. Right? Because it's only as yes and no's, which is. But hey, what a brilliant way to give Grogu more agency. Yeah, exactly. And give Grogu the ability to communicate much more um, explicitly. Yeah. And engage with characters more directly. I think at first blush and at face value, it's super silly. Oh, right? yeah. To have Grogu driving an IG droid. Um, it doesn't really make any sense. But it does, because it provides those other things I just mentioned, I am okay with it. Yeah. And the way that they deliver it is so amusing that I, it, it works. Oh, like how can you be mad about it, right? Yeah, it's, but yeah, you're right. It gives him agency. It's, yeah. Now we can get like yes and no answers out of him, which is, which is fun um, without actually having to have him speak. Um, and, you know, it gives right. Star Wars the ability to make some more really fun toys and some more Black Series figures, which I'm going to buy. Right, as soon true. as they come out with this one, I'm buying it. I don't care. <laughs> that's an IG droid with, oh, with uh, Grogu, the Grogu in it. That's so funny. It was like, it even made me laugh because um, I was thinking of, um, what's his name from Ninja Turtles? Krang. It's Yes, he does have it. He has a Krang. It's a Krang suit. Yeah. <laughs> that's 100%. Because uh, he's like inside the chest and everything yeah. too. Yeah, but he's just like stomping 100%. around, learning how to use it. And I'm like, oh man, this is really funny. He should have like a little shield, right? Like I feel like he's a little exposed there in the chest. Like give him a right? little like yeah. glass shield. Give and him a little got, dome. Like, he can go into battle now. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So didn't like reluctantly agrees to this whole situation uh, and they walk through the streets and uh, Grogu <laughs> is instantly distracted by food because when isn't he? He always loves a snack and uh, he helps himself to some fruit from a street vendor. Um, he, we eat some kind of like popcorn-esque stuff and then um, Maileron fruit yeah. that gets like squeezed in the IG droid's hands, which is fun. Um, do you think that the that the that Stuff he's eating is like Mantel mix, maybe. Uh, I don't know if it's Mantel mix, but yeah, I just I always like when they bring like like Bailey runs. They love to kind of just throw them in there when we see these street vendors. Love those. I also like. I was just cracking up that he's just like walking beside Did, just going like, yes, 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 yes. Like he's just so (laughs) pumped. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's having a great time. Like this is so funny. Yeah, and walking around just being like cheering almost. I'm like, holy crap, this is so funny. He's pumped. Yeah, and in Pe- Pedro Pascal's like dry line deliveries here are so funny <laughs> yeah. because he just like he's like paying for the stuff as he keeps like destroying it, yeah. and then he looks at him, he's like, "This isn't working for yeah. me." And I love <laughs> it. He... Like that's like oh, so funny when he holds the Melu run like over his head so that he like Din can't reach it too. It's just like so fucking yeah. funny. It's like yeah, oh, it's like man. well, how, how, a little taste of your own medicine. <laughs> yeah, he's right? like, oh, you can't oh, take stuff good. away from me now. Like, just pay for it, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just helping himself to whatever he wants and then pulls it. Dan has to pull out the wallet. Um, so back at camp, uh, it's nighttime now. The two groups, despite it being a quote unquote feast, are having uh, it's pretty quiet, right? Like they're, they're not really like a the people who have their helmets can't eat with them. Um, so how's that work? Did you notice and, what uh, they were eating? Uh they, no, I looked like they had something on a, a, I think uh, they're like eating the raptors the from one of the previous the baby no raptors. Way. Yes. Really? If you, you pause so? it, they are like big turkey chicken looking things. I think they're eating the raptors. <laughs> I'm almost positive. What if they're those like 
What if they're those pterodactyl things that used that like attacked them in season Maybe, one? Maybe, but things? I mean, they had those baby raptors. We haven't seen them since. Yeah, where are those now? Yeah, yeah. I right? think they're eating them. Okay, you know, that's if that's the case. Very disappointing because <laughs> a wasn't there three of them, and they I think there's only two. There was at least two there, that were which means being cooked. Yeah. Yeah, they murdered one in front of. They murdered two of them in front of one of them, and then like it deprives us from being able to see, you know, Grogu riding one or something. I could be wrong. That's unfortunate. But I think they're eating them. I hope it's the one that I said and not what you said. I think you're probably right. Um. Anyway, the two groups are the two tribes aren't really getting along. So Bo cuts the ice with a bit of a speech. This is where I felt like the pacing was a bit weird, right? Uh, we just kind of have this, like, they just got here. Then we have this time where, with Din and Grogu on their own. So we're not even in, getting to see these characters interact, these two tribes interact at all. And then we cut back, and they're still not getting along. And the speech is basically just exposition for what we're about to see, which is um, uh, that it's time to take back our home world. Again, the question is from who? I get, they're saying, well, it's still dangerous. Dormant species have emerged after the bombing. Right. I think she's alluding to the to the mythosaur here, but of course we see that new species here. They can't scan the surface. I think that's important for exposition purposes. Can't scan the surface to reveal that the empire is already there. Um, she proposes that they leave Navarro again, despite having just arrived there, and put the fleet into orbit above Navar- um, above Mandalore, uh, uh, and. Then scout the surface, find the Great Forge, establish a safe perimeter, and bring down the fleet once they have kind of a handle on what's going on. But to do that, she needs volunteers from both tribes. So this is actually a pretty smart kind of way of going about it, right? Create a mission that everyone can get on board with, and then um, create a team that has people from both teams on it. Um, And there's no better, better way to like forge... Uh, camaraderie than putting people on the same team, right? So um, Din and Grogu are the first to volunteer. Not surprising. Then Casca Reeves from Bo's side volunteers with Axe as well. Then Paz volunteers. He's the fourth. And then it's a bunch of randos that we don't really yeah. know any. Here's the thing. I think this was mentioned on a podcast I heard the other day, which is like, we don't know any of these other Mandalorians. No. We, hit, we know like five of them. And the rest are all just nameless people. And I think that's a shame. Yeah. I think if we're dealing with a show called The Mandalorian, where you know we're transferring what they, you know, and they've admitted by the way that The Mandalorian as a title does no longer just refers to Din, who very well could die next episode. By the way, I, just a possibility. Um, so it could refer it no longer just refers to Din, but also Bo, but also you know whoever else fits the bill at that time, right? So um, it's just weird that we don't know any of them. I think it also lowers the stakes. Well, if you know some of these characters, yeah. at least by name, you could be you could feel something if they're killed. Um, but yeah. we don't even I, that's kind of what I that originally thought when you see these kind of nameless people um putting their hands up right. being like oh, I'm like oh okay, here's some cannon fodder. Like we're like these they're those are the ones who are mm-hmm. going to die. Right? So you obviously need a little bit of that, but but you're right. I mean, they are kind of missing a little bit of an opportunity of, you know, maybe we could have spent a little time with some of these mercenaries for like part of an episode yeah. to get to know some of them a little bit yeah. better, right? Um, so that we felt a little bit more about them. We we're a little bit more attached to some of these characters, which gives the um, the show a little bit more stakes. Yeah. Um, 
the armorer also volunteers to go. And then this is when we get this like sinister musical cue plays, which I think upon rewatch, if I am, my theory is correct, will be like a little bit of a foreshadow for what eventually will be a, a heel turn from her. Um, I like that they all have to announce that I will go. I, it's very much like a, I am Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're all one team. I will go. I will go. Um, and then we get what I think is some of the coolest shots we've ever seen on the show, which is the fleet leaving Navarro and um, jumping into hyperspace and arriving at uh, Mandalore. Now, important to note here, though, is that they leave some ships behind. So as they leave Navarro, the fleet, um, the majority of the fleet jumps to Mandalore. But one of the Gazantes and a couple of the other gauntlets and a couple of the other kind of fighter ships don't arrive at Mandalore with them. So where those ships are might play a factor, might play a role next week and and might be able to provide reinforcements. Right? And I think what's important to note also is, yes, Gideon has bombers and he has interceptors, which are a dangerous combination when you're facing off against like capital ships. But if you don't have another capital ship, like to fight like capital ship versus capital ship, if there's no Star Destroyer incoming to help back him up. The fact that they still have that light cruiser and a few of those Gazantes will have an effect if there is a space battle next week, which I do hope there will be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same. And probably will be. I mean, yeah, come on. Um, where do you think that those other ships went? I didn't notice that they weren't Coruscant, maybe? there. Um, yeah, I did not notice that, to be honest. Um, I I don't know. I didn't the first time. I This was pointed out in a on a YouTube recap okay. that I watched not the screen crush one I would always you know yeah um, this is an Eckhart's Ladder uh, one um, I, yeah I no I honestly gotta, didn't gotta, notice gotta, that gotta so. give the Star Wars YouTubers yeah I don't know it, it, my theory is that it's maybe Coruscant or maybe it's another place that there's other Mandalorians hiding out I don't know but I think it's not an accident that they leave those ships behind hmm. that they don't jump to hyperspace with them okay um, now we get to Mandalore we, once we arrive here we don't leave for the rest of the episode okay so, um, in orbit, Bo and her team leave uh, the fleet and ascend into atmosphere with their with their scout team. Um, in the back of her ship, looking down at the destruction of the planet, we see some of the um, uh, Mandalorians that we know um, kind of commenting on the destruction, right? Uh, for Paz, who's never been to Mandalore before, he says, it's worse than I thought, right? Um, and Axe, who, I guess they're kind of creating some begrudging friendship in this episode um, says, you know, I was here when it happened. Later on, we hear about people who are already there who stayed there. Right, right? yeah. So that's kind of interesting kind of how they're connecting. Din kind of takes us in. He's like, okay, they're ready. Um, let's start the final approach. Uh, Bo tells them to secure the infill zone, which is a cool little like military saying. Um, so the Mandalorians drop from the gauntlet with their jetpacks and uh, secure the landing zone on the ground. We do see uh, a giant skeleton, by the way. I don't know if you spotted that oh, in, like, off in the distance no. as they're like scanning the perimeter. Um, so that's kind of that's pretty cool. Kind of like how you sometimes see like whale, yeah, yeah. With those giant whale bones um, every once in a while. It's like that, but like kaiju bones. Basically. Okay, like when we get to see crate dragon um, bones and Tatooine all the time. Exactly. Yeah, no, <laughs> just like that. Um, <clears throat> so. Bo lands the ship and um, she now makes another speech because she's like really, she's really speechifying this this week. Um, 
She says, somewhere below is where our ancient capital once stood. And so their plan is to survey the surface and find the forge and create a safety zone to bring down the settlers. Just repeating what she'd said previously. Uh, so make sure we really drove that home. I did like the the use of the term settlers here. You know, it's like, oh, they're going to resettle on their own planet. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, it's interesting to think about settling. You know, when we think of settlers, we think of like crossing the ocean and like landing at the new world. You know, when we think of space travel, you know, to settle a new planet is, you know, that times a thousand, you know, that times a hundred thousand, right? Um, get some really cool shots of the glassy surface of the world as they, uh, the Mandalorians like walk around, basically. Um, then Din spots something on the horizon. We get some funky music as um, this ship uh, emerges from the distance. Um, a massive sailboat slash like ski ship yeah <laughs> arrives um in front of them what did you make of this thing i thought that was kind of it was pretty cool it was in my opinion definitely cool looking um i don't know I, I i like not the same but like it kind of gave you that almost like pirate mixed with mad max mixed with water world like all those kind of when you oh, get yeah. like the really funky like steampunk 100%. kind of you know it's like it's hard to pinpoint exactly where they're like taking all the like, different... how do these sails work yeah exactly it's yeah, kind of like yeah. a viking ship too like it was but i love a good like kind of quirky looking land ship that they so these totally. people have obviously like crafted together somehow yeah, the next closest thing would be an airship, like out of yes, Final yes, Fantasy yes, yes, exactly. And, like, and it's like, but it's got like it has the like when they're on the on the ship itself, you can hear like creaking boards, but like yeah. I don't think it's made <laughs> out of wood. But they use those sounds so that it kind of to bring those same emotions that you would feel like if you're on a uh, pirate ship or something. Yeah, I think when when they talk about space pirates in Star Wars, I think that they should use more of these types of, <laughs> of machines, open air <laughs> machines. That's what I, that's what I yeah. think. That's so yeah, funny. It's, so, it's super cool. But we just get so much high tech stuff right? in, in Star Wars that it is really fun when we get something that feels a little low, low tech. tech. Yeah. So I, I like it. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. It's really, it's really weird, but like in a good way. Because yes. it's kind of yeah. like, it's pretty cool. Like how it's on these skis. It's unclear how they like get past like these, like the big like ice chunks or yeah. glass chunks. Yeah. Like I don't know how they navigate that necessarily, but either way, it's really badass. No notes. Super cool. Um, but I, I also like how they arrive and they, they kind of like stop at a distance and they're like, do you have food? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like instantly cuts the tension. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I think creates kind of a much more like approachable scene. Um, Bo is like, yeah. And it's like, I noticed you're wearing the crest of the night owls. He's like, well, yeah, I'd like that's because I am one basically. <laughs> yeah. She's saying. Um, but they recognize Bo's voice and they jetpack over to greet her. And we, and we find these kind of like disheveled Mandalorians who are, um, who've seen better days, right? They're, they're obviously living on this, um, they're living on this, this open air ship situation on the surface of a dead planet where they're getting food. Anyone, no one knows. Yeah. I don't know. Right? Dinosaurs, I guess. don't have a ship. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, yeah, they could just, they could just eat those those kaiju. Yeah, whatever basically. those are. Right, yeah, megafauna. Um, so the main one here uh, is played by Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell is a uh, great actor, a great character actor, um, and uh, has been in plenty of plenty of things. 
Most recently, you probably recognize him as a character uh, in Top Gun Maverick, um, but has been in a ton, ton of things and voiced a ton of things too. He's also a voice actor, as you as you can probably tell when he says that whole thing about "Onward, Mandalorians to the forge," yeah. <laughs> you know, um, which is such a cool moment. Uh, so yeah, it's it's cool to see him here. I think he like totally kind of embodies this kind of vibe of these. Um, you know, stragglers basically left behind um, on Mandalorian. What do you make of these uh, these folks? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely unexpected, right? So I was not expecting to see other Mandalorians. So very cool little intro nope, to these um, these few. I mean, it's not a lot of them, but um, very interesting to kind of see these almost scavengers that have still been, you know obviously they're stranded there, right? Like there's no way for them to get off world if all the ships are bombed and no one's coming back. Right. So it's a very interesting concept (laughs) that had to be like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense that if there were any Mandalorians stranded there, like they would be stranded. How would they get off world? Right. So, um, yeah, it was a very cool concept that I was just not expecting. So, and it was nice that it was immediately kind of, helping each other there wasn't any sort of like didn't have to deal with any animosity or any fighting yes. or, yeah so i liked that we just kind of it's good to just, immediately joined them it's good to just get away from that like oh it's a bit of a it's a bit of a red herring i guess like oh are we about to have a fight but right, no right it, they're actually friends yeah right which is good um i like the line we knew you would not forsake us lady bo-katan right um and uh i i think basically these are kind of like true believers who stayed on the planet to continue fighting um and uh, surviving um uh, and and they're like held out hope that they would be rescued someday so pretty cool i'm interesting to see maybe there's other mandalorians left on the planet who are kind of doing similar yeah, stuff yeah um okay so they get aboard the the ship and uh we have they have like this dinner scene and they recap um the whole bombing situation like how that happened um and talk about how they were punished as a warning to the whole galaxy for refusing to surrender, which I think is a concept that we've kind of talked about in in Rebels and, and in other places. And I think it's a fair kind of assessment of this. Um, and it's kind of cool to hear it kind of said out loud on the show itself. Um, this is where we get this, like, speaking of dropping bombs, <laughs> Bo drops a truth bomb yeah. here um, because she admits that she actually did surrender um, and basically uh, recounts what happened after the Night of a Thousand Tears. So this is a time period we've not seen before. Uh, it's not been shown to us in, in any Star Wars media, as, as far as we know. Oh, so uh, she says that she met with Moff Gideon um, after it seemed that there was no hope, that their forces were decimated, and um, that the ISB had reached out to negotiate a ceasefire, ISB obviously being that group that we got very familiar with, in Andor, uh, the Imperial Security Bureau, um, and uh, negotiated terms where the Mandalorians would disarm, agree to disarm, and submit to the uh, Imperial Imperial rule in exchange for um, the remaining cities and the surviving Mandalorians to uh, be spared. Right, um, and this is how uh, Gideon got the the dark saber. She basically traded it in exchange for the, as a kind of a surrender, right? Right. Um, not nearly as cool as losing it in battle, but she essentially does because they lose the war, right? So kind of an extension of that. Um, uh, this kind of a, a ceremonial passing of the blade in that case. 
And uh, she admits that she didn't trust him, but felt that there was no other option, that you know, it was the only chance to save the people's lives, right? Um, and, but ultimately, she was betrayed, and uh, because they had disarmed, there was no way for them to, quote-unquote, resist the, uh, the purge of Mandalore when their uh, best car was, uh, was taken and the rest of the Mandalorians were killed. Um, what do you make of this, uh, this truth reveal here? And specifically her decision and her admitting that she knew that she couldn't trust them, but went along right. with it anyway. I think it's really important um, for her kind of storyline to, you know, almost not fess up, but to be honest with these, with everybody now um, about it. Uh, I feel like it'd be very hard for her to continue leading this group of Mandalorians, whether she's kind of leading them or not, or the armor is, we don't really know yet, I guess, but right. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important that she kind of comes out with this and it like gets it off her chest because I'm sure she's feeling a lot of guilt about it being having surrendered and then they just killing everybody anyway, right? So as a, as a Mandalorian, yeah. I'm sure she would have rather to just fight to the death. That's kind of the way that they are. Um, but she thought right. she was doing the right thing. So it's, um, yeah, it's an important part of the story that we didn't really have yet. Well, so. She it, it reveal there's a scene that comes right after this where she's talking to Din when she reveals that she felt like she was selfish that she you know that by making this choice that was um, that spared her own life fair enough but also what she thought was the lives of other Mandalorians she ultimately caused this much worse event to happen now of course the alt- the, the other way of looking at that the other side of that coin is that she was in a no win scenario right. right she could yeah. have fought him to the death and even if she had killed Gideon. She would have probably been killed herself. And then the rest of that stuff would have happened the same way. And she wouldn't be alive now to, as Din puts it, help rebuild. Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. So she was really, she really didn't ha- have uh, uh, an option. She had a, you know, it was a Sophie's choice, right? You lose no matter what choice you make. Right. So I do it. I did like that. She admits that she, of course, of course I couldn't trust him, but she was betrayed anyway. Um, and uh, this is kind of the, uh, the worst part of the empire, right? Because it's like, it's one thing to defeat an enemy in a war, right? But it's another to, you know, uh, go back on your kind of ceasefire terms. And once they're disarmed, go and go. And oh them, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the true, you know, evil that is the empire, right? Is that they, not only can they not be trusted, but you can trust them to, to do the worst possible thing. Yeah. Just right? commit war crimes. And they don't play by the rules. Yeah, constantly, right? Um, but they set the rules, right? You're the if you're the empire, you, there is no war crimes. It's just whatever yeah, you want, exactly, right? They even make an allusion to that early in that the, the Shadow Council theme. They say like, "Oh, people are getting tired of this new republic and all their rules and regulations," which is funny because most people under the empire who didn't live on Coruscant or you know uh, some you know fancy schmancy world were probably under the boot of the rules and regulations of the empire. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. Which, you know, enforce them with, you know, lethal, with lethal means. So, or force people into, you know, slave labor so they could build a Death Star, et cetera. So, um, and it's a bit rich coming from them for them to say that, but of course they kind of live in their own little bubble. So, um, anyway, this, it is an interesting reveal. I, I, it is cool to hear this. I I would still like her to admit that she was a uh, uh that she was a member of Death Watch. Death Watch is mentioned in this episode. Yeah. Fact, at this exact moment, the survivors ask 
how the covert survived. And they said that they survived on the moon of Concordia. And they said specifically, were you Death Watch? And they said it shattered into many warring factions. Okay, fair enough. Right. But Bo at never at no point during this whole process admits that she was Death Watch to anybody, including Din, who I think would of all people would probably be able to relate to her most on this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a weird decision. I think I'm wondering if they do it specifically because it it adds this layer of complexity that you would need to know if you were uh, and you have to go back and watch the cartoons, quote unquote, to, to yeah, get the, to get the I wonder, you know, It's not a bother to us who know right. it, but for people who don't, it might be confusing you know, as to why she was part. Like, because yeah, some people might be yeah. confused about well, if she was part of Death Watch, why isn't she? Why did she take her helmet off? Blah 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 blah. Right. So, um, and we also don't really know yeah. how long she was part of Death Watch either. So. That's another thing that I'm always... And she was quite young. She was very young. About before. Yeah, so yeah. we kind of talk about... Yeah, exactly. We talked about that in Clone Wars, that she kind of leaves Death Watch very quickly um, in the Clone Wars. Once right. Gar Saxon... Is it Gar Saxon? Or once... Um, basically, no, once Maul takes over. Paz or Vizsla. Vizsla, yes. Um, um, yeah. Pre-Vizsla or Paz Vizsla. Yeah, pre-Vizsla? Yes. Anyways, yeah, but... Yeah, um, pre-Vizsla. Yeah. yeah, once Maul takes over, she's like, oh, no, fuck this. Like, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going with this, but um, but yeah. So I mean, right. maybe she just doesn't consider herself as being part of Death Watch because she left before early on. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I know. it's like that's a pretty um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like uh, it's a pretty flimsy argument. Yeah, but in my opinion. but, but, but whatever. Fair. Maybe she will eventually address that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is interesting to find out that they eventually broke up into warring factions because, of course, they did. Because, of course, that's what happens to Mandal every Mandalore culture. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, so this is the most important um, piece of this, actually, which is that Bo admits that despite Mandalore being too powerful to defeat when they're united, it's always been their own division and infighting that destroys them and causes them suffering. Right. And this is kind of the main theme. It's been a major theme of this show basically since season two. Right. And it has been a theme of um, any Mandalorian story basically going back to the Clone Wars. So it's, I think it's really great that it's acknowledged here that Bo understands it now, finally, right? Because she couldn't see the forest through the trees for a long time. Right. Right. And now she's kind of had the ability to step back after obviously having have to endure this terrible um, uh, um, tragedy of the Night of a Thousand Tears and the, the Purge and all that kind of stuff. Um, now she's able to kind of look at it with kind of clear eyes and say, oh, you know, if we had been a united front, this might not have happened. Right. Um, this is interesting because it shows that Din seems to really be like engaged with what she's saying here and then, uh, you know, approaches her after the dinner and says, you know, hey, I didn't know all the stuff about what you had to sacrifice, right? I didn't realize that you, who, what we had considered to be representing the, the kind of the failed state of Mandalore actually had to go through all this pain and suffering so that, um, in an attempt to try to save the rest of us, right? Um, and uh, it admits that, you know, he was kind of taught these things that may or may not have been true. Right, right. right. And that, that that she was self, that they were taught that they were selfish and uncaring and had abandoned the way. Um, she, obviously, as I mentioned before, she says that, oh, I was selfish. So it's kind of like, it's a classic kind of moment where people come together. No, I was wrong. No, I was wrong. Yeah. And then they hug and everyone's fat. <laughs> um, and... Bo kind of talks about, hey, look, listen, don't worry about it. We'll rebuild it. You know, we've been on the verge of destruction for thousands of years. What's different now? But to her, 
she feels like it's different now because she's not convinced that she is capable of being the leader that's able to hold them all together. Right now, it's interesting that she says that because the two of them are having a conversation alone here. And what we talked about last week, I think still remains true. In fact, more so now, which is that together, one from both, you know, one foot in each world, right? right actually make for the stronger leadership position. Yes, right? absolutely. Alone, neither of them are particularly capable. They both have weaknesses and weak spots, but together they are greater than the sum of their parts, right? And I think that's kind of being potentially laid out here um, as a, a and being teased. Um, I like how he talks about. She's like, you know, all I have is this this dark saber to keep everyone together. And Dana's like, I don't care about that blade. I've never even knew it. I didn't even know it existed yeah. until <laughs> recently. I only know what you told me about it. And you know, really, all I care about is honor loyalty and character. Now, it's amazing hearing Din say this, this stuff out loud for obvious reasons. It's very um, endearing. Um, and it's it's kind of like knight in shining armor, literally shining armor right, <laughs> yeah. in this, his chrome. Yeah. Um, and kind of the, the way that they would kind of, you know, a, a knight of the round table might talk about these things. And, you know, it's, it's kind of um, uh, what we would like our you know like to see in ourselves right that we that we consider people's character and honor and and that above anything else and sometimes we get caught up in the minutia so it it's it's this aspirational element and it's it's really cool to hear out loud and he says these are the reasons i serve you lady crees your song is not yet written i will serve you until it is so it's this kind of this pledge of allegiance to to bocatan and her leadership um, and this really takes Bo back and she really surprises her. We hear the Mandalorian theme play here in a really powerful way. What do you make of this kind of this moment? What do you think Bo is thinking about? And what do you think, you know, this eventually? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I very much like this interaction between the two of them. Um, again, we kind of get, yeah, it, it's Din's kind of, you know, reassuring her of his allegiance, but I think at the same time of like everybody else's as well, in that like he's happy to follow her and he's happy to to be led by her. Um and happy to like have yeah. being able to give her the the dark saber back because I feel like he didn't ever not that he didn't really want it, he just right. I think he knew it wasn't his and every time we've seen him try to wield it, he wasn't very good at it. And we it didn't work. and we saw how well Bo could you know, wield this thing. So it just kind of makes sense now um, that he's, he's more devoted to her. Right. So, and it's, it's nice to kind of have this little conversation between the two of them where he can give her that reassurance. Well, it also, it also helps really relieve the tension of what I think she thought maybe as a threat to her position, yeah. which is that like, yeah, is Din maybe more the guy that people are going to follow? Like, am I, maybe Din's the right person. Right. And, yeah. And felt maybe jealousy or, or threatened by that. And um, I think he basically puts that to rest. Like, listen, I'm not, I'm not interested in it. Right. But of course, the best leaders aren't the, are the ones who aren't. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that there's a fair statement to be made there. Right. And um, so again, I think the I'm shipping it. Is my yeah. Opinion. Like I, I, I like the two of them together. Not necessarily maybe as like a couple, no, I know what but you as mean. a you know as a dual leadership. Situ well, situation there somehow. Yeah, it's right? it's also a very big contrast to what we saw kind of at the beginning of the series where or, se or season where she was a little bit cold and we weren't too sure if she was going to try and kill him or right. try and fight him again, right? So when she was all 
sad up in her castle by herself. It was, you know, so now it's, they've got this camaraderie with each other and she has that reassurance that like she's getting her tribe back and, you know, we don't have to worry about her thinking he's a threat or trying to take it away from her. Yeah. Right. So it's more about them working together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Bo's reaction here is kind of like, again, she's stunned because, you know, it's this really open, honest reveal that, you know, you just people don't just do very often. So I think that, I think that's kind of where she gets that reaction. And it kind of, I think it gives her a bit of a, just after like last week, she gets a little bit of a pep, a pep talk from Din. Here's kind of like that, but to the extreme, right? Like, listen, I got your back is what he's saying there. Okay. So the next morning, um, sorry, I guess that evening, uh, the armor is treating the wounded. Um, I guess some of these kind of Mandalorians who are uh, kind of like sickly and don't have any food or whatever. And she wants to return them back to the fleet um, to give them aid. Um, Bo agrees and um, <clears throat> and asks the you know the surviving Mandalorians who are there who you know who are healthy enough to help them you know retake the forge and they're like well, we can do better than that we can take you there and then the next morning the armor leaves to return to the the, the injured um, Mandalorians to the ship to the fleet um, and uh, I just think it's interesting how she dips out right before the whole you know, trap scenario. You know, just saying, just putting that out there. Interesting how she agrees to go on the mission, but all of a sudden now, oh, not, not, uh, doesn't want to help. Okay. Of course, I didn't, she's pick doing up it to help, that. to help injured people, but, you know, I literally didn't, I didn't pick up just on this. Um, because I thought they were all, including the injured, still on that kind of like airship, whatever we want to call it, pirate ship. And I thought when it got messed up mm. by, the whatever you want to call it dinosaur yeah, that, that that was like oh well the injured people are dead now um i, I thought they didn't make it back to <laughs> right. the um yeah i thought they were all going together but i guess i'm wrong and i because you're right i you don't see her after that <laughs> um yeah they, so yeah they, i didn't they leave. there's that. that one brief shot where they where she's like okay hey to fleet command here i am dropping off these people etc oh, okay i don't know how i don't have a ship that. to get back Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very short. Hmm. It's very quick. And um, it's interesting too. Is like, where is you know at, when they do get ambushed and like they cover Axe so he can escape and like get back right. up or whatever. Yeah. Um, where is he going? Yeah, there's I, nowhere to go. I the ship's not back. Thought yeah, like the gauntlet hasn't returned. He's not going to fly into space right to give them news. So it's like, I, it'd be interesting how to see how that pays off um, next week. But I I, I also want to know. If this whole armor thing pays off, I you know from yeah from we, we shall see. Um, I guess the other again, this is another kind of counter argument, which is of course she's helping wounded, which is I think a pretty good sign that she's a good person. So right, hard to say, <laughs> but you know it. We'll we'll see one way or another. Um, okay, so then we get that great onward Mandalorians to the Forge line, Paz uh, and uh, uh, Axe play mando chess so there's like yeah. this brief scene where they play mandalorian chess and uh axe accuses paz of trying to make up rules which is pretty <laughs> funny that like they have like a variant version of yeah of like yeah. how the chess how the pieces like, move. They, i use chess because he's clearly like that yeah the pieces don't move like you can't use that piece to move like yeah that. he's like well this one does when it does this thing which is a pretty funny it's like house explain. rules it sounds like a kid trying to explain how they're yeah they're i hate house rules <laughs> I hate house rules for board games. Just play the game the way it's intended. Yeah. Looking at you, Scrabble. <laughs> hate 
People, everyone has house what? rules for Scrabble. How, how do you have house rules if you for play Scrabble? Scrabble every, every sing, if you've ever played it, um, if you ever gone to like someone's house, oh, let's play Scrabble, and then like they're like, oh, we don't take we oh that word you have to you know you have to be able to use it in a sentence what? or blah 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 all these things. No, you it's the rules um, on the box. Are yeah, I, I agree. But anyway, I've, it happens to me all the time, and I I refuse to play Scrabble now. I won't do it. I I, I can't do it. It it fills me with legitimate rage and i i refuse <laughs> um so um in orbit as i mentioned before, okay sorry actually we should finish this piece which is um paz and axe play mando chess axe accuses him of making up rules um paz basically pulls his knife and says admit that you lost that you got checkmated or fight me which is like so funny he calls them primitive. I think he calls like what does he what does Axe call them? Like he says like these primitives. Yeah, of course something like along. That. Of course these primitives would make up their own rules or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but of course he like he like proves his point by standing up and accusing him to fight over a board. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, point to Axe, in my opinion, on that one. Anyway, Axe kind of plays it cool. He agrees to duel, but he does it kind of in this like surprise you know, flying jetpack knee move to Paz's head, which is pretty cool. I love the sound of the armor going ting yeah. <laughs> against each other. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, then they have a knife fight, which is a little underwhelming, but then um, Bo and Din kind of acknowledge that no one from either of their sides can step in to stop it. Right. Which, why do you think that, why do you think that I is? think it's because it's, if anybody from either side steps in, it's just kind of like, then somebody else is going to step in, right? Like they don't want it to turn into an all out brawl between the two factions. So yeah, that's to me, that's kind of what it was where it's like, we can't really, as long as no one steps in, it's not going to get any bigger than these two yahoos just brawling. Well, also like fighting it out might be a good way for them to just get it out of their system. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Um, so and then that's when Grogu steps in <laughs> with his new IG twelve body and and no 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 by the way we didn't mention Taika Waititi's voice so it's still okay. Taika's voice that's yeah. pretty funny that they're using that yeah um, and so he breaks it up um, and Bo comments that uh, to Din that oh you taught your apprentice well and this we get another this is the second time this season where Din's like I don't know I didn't teach him that <laughs> it's the <laughs> so, Jedi in him. so again presumably from Jedi yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a good boy yeah um where do you fall on the grogu is a cat or a dog what uh argument yeah there's a whole online argument that grogu is either a cat or a dog is he a cat or a dog in your opinion um i guess a dog i would say if i had to pick one explain your argument um show your work show my work okay to me i was like i don't know because dogs i find are a little bit more intelligent whereas cats mm-hmm. i feel like are a little more emotional and moody like you never know Insulting what kind of cat you're gonna get. so many cats. no i like right cats Holy shit. i like cats because otherwise either you get the good like cuddly you know good cat or you get the cat that like hates you and your entire family and like doesn't want to be touched and just like spends right. its That's life true. being like fuck you so it just, but dogs are, I think 90% of the time always pumped to see you. So, yeah, but I think also consider dogs to be kind of like dopey, you know, it's like true. they're happy to see, you, but like they're not the smartest animals. Yeah, but you think right? like a, they'll chase every single squirrel. Border collie or something that's like, you know, you don't, there's a reason why you see service dogs, but not service cats. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's because they're loyal. Yeah, right? but you can like I mean, teach them to the do stuff. About, like you can't, they don't have drug like, sniffing cats and they don't have like, you know, cats <laughs> that can yeah, smell true. if your blood sugar is low or not or if you're going to have a heart attack. Or That's true. So to me, I'm like, that's it's true. just the kind of the range of, I guess, They're just more capable. Yeah. And therefore, because, yeah. All right, fair enough. I mean, I think he behaves more like a cat, I think, most of the time. Sure, um, yeah. And... Like the way he sits on people's laps and like the way people like stroke <laughs> and just his feed him, yeah, it's very cat like. That's true. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, I I wish he was more of a dog, as a dog owner myself. But um, yeah, uh, I, I I think I fall onto the cat side of things. So the more I see it, the more I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. Um, okay. So again, we get this brief shot of the uh, gauntlet arriving to the fleet, but then back on the surface, the crew spot something um coming out of the the glass. Turns out it's a giant kaiju thing. And, again, and I'm wearing my Godzilla shirt because um, uh, anytime we get giant monsters, I'm going to... Okay, I don't Japanese know what a kaiju Godzilla is. So. Kaiju is the Japanese word for megafauna, right? For like a giant creatures. Oh, okay. I, like thought, Godzilla, I thought that's what it was like legit Moth, called. Mothra. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, a strange beast. Yeah, so... Okay. Yeah, it's their... their um, that's like Godzilla is like the the most recognizable gotcha. one. Gotcha. But like any of these kind of like giant monsters. Giant monster dinosaur you know, you thing. Kaiju oh, or okay. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um anyway, uh turns out it's not the Mythosaur, which I thought it would be. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Go get the Mythosaur here. Obviously, wasn't expecting the Empire at this point. So uh the Mythosaur comes out and then we'll see how that plays out. But it's not, it's this like other thing i'm sure there's a name for the type of dinosaur that it's kind of based on which has got like the spiky back and like the big uh swinging tail thing yeah, which destroys it, it's the like ship. not a but yeah again, i know what you mean it's not like um not a triceratops but it's like something else similar yeah yeah if you watch um uh jurassic world oh uh, i found Camp it cretaceous there's a it's, it's okay. an ankylosaurus. What is it called? Ankylosaurus, or the ones... An, an, okay, you're right. Ankyl, ankylosaurus. That have, like, the right. big spiky um, tail and Bumpy. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, in Camp Cretaceous, there's one that they named Bumpy. Okay. So, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah, so it's just like a giant one of those things, and then uh, uh, destroys the ship. We get this cool shot of them all flying off the ship as they escape its destruction, um, and uh, head underground. It Literally, that's it. It just... Shows up, destroys the ship, and then they head underground. <laughs> yeah, really, no reason for that to arrive. I don't. I. It's like seems like so much time and energy and money was spent on that one scene when it has like no bearing on this show whatsoever. Yeah, I Weird thought this was going to be some anyway. kind of like, oh, then the mythosaur is going to come and we're going to get a big beast fight or something. Is what I was originally right. thinking. Yeah, but yeah, well, that'd be cool. I guess we just needed a reason yeah. to like nope. drive them underground really quick. I don't know, but yeah, you're right. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, why that couldn't had no they point. just? <laughs> Why couldn't they? Yeah. Like, why couldn't they just to go there? there? Maybe, yeah. I guess maybe. Yeah. Couldn't. Yeah. Well, exactly. I guess like maybe there was like maybe the empire kind of like poked it so that it would like it would like pop up at that moment or yeah, something. But that, that's really all I can think of. Anyway, so they they head underground at that point. They're like, oh, we're close. We can head. We can walk from here. Um, and it turns out they're not only close. They're like there, <laughs> basically. Um and they arrive at what is the like remnants of the forge. Um, and we get this line that this was once the heart of our civilization. The fires have been extinguished since the bombing. Um, it looks kind of cool, but it's hard to tell and kind of like covered in rubble and, and, and kind of just in the distance. Yeah. So 
Um, what did you make of the kind of the look of the forge? Uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of just looked like the same blown up areas that we saw like the last time Din was here. I agree with you that I was like, oh, I didn't really, I couldn't really pick out what was supposed to be the forge. Um, right. But I mean, maybe that's part of it, right? Like, like, is it that thing? Is it that round yeah. thing? Is it that tall thing over there? <laughs> yeah. You know, is it all of those things together? But I, I don't guess know. that's the point is, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I would agree with you that I was kind of like, but what, what am I supposed to be looking at? What thing are we pointing at? <laughs> right. But yeah. maybe that's all part of it. And if um, they ever rebuild it, it's going to be like, oh, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like. Uh, oh, we'll put it under one roof this time <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Paz is kind of surprised because again, he's never he's never been there before, so he's never seen a city like this. He's like, "You guys all lived here?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then the cyber survivors are like, "Yeah, we never left. Actually, yeah, we've been migrating across the surface until the war ended." Um, so there you go. We get a little bit more background on them. Um, did you mention this one? I, this line is very interesting, which is that some tried to explore below, but none survived. What do you think that they? What do you think they mean by that? Do you think that's like beasts got them, or the empire got them, or both? probably a big? I would assume it's a mix of both. Like it's kind of they they yeah. quit trying to go down there because I mean we did see that there was like the creepy what you might call it um, crab yeah, the, monster thing, um, and then there were the yeah those yeah. other kind of mutant monsters, and then yeah probably the empire as well if uh, if Gideon's yeah. been holed up there so. It's probably a mix of things that none of, you know, they've never come back. So you're like, okay, sweet. I guess we're just going to avoid going down there because it seems like there's not very many of them left at this point. Yeah. Um, they're a little reminiscing is cut short, though, because a squad of Imperial troopers flying in on jetpacks um, kind of comes to confront them. I'm going to call them super commandos just for short because they, they look exactly basically like those like we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, so they get... Attacked by these, this the squad of super commandos. Um, Axe wants to make a break for the surface to get reinforcements. As again, I don't, you know, I don't know how that's going to work, but obviously it probably will in some way or for, or another. Unless maybe he's the spy, right? He's the one that's dipping out potentially. Yeah, right before all know. the shit hits the fan. Yeah. But anyway, I, I don't just I don't get that vibe from him. So, um, anyway, Axe wants to break away and, and get back to the surface to get reinforcements. So. They use a crack in the ceiling and Paz lays down cover fire. Um, and uh, by the way, I like how the version of laying down cover fire for, for Paz Vizsla is just literally <laughs> shooting them all, like shooting so many Machine of them. Machine right? gunning them down. Like, yeah, because uh, yeah, like usually when you say put co- covering fire, it's just to suppress them yeah, so, so that, that they, they hide. can move without getting shot. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. In this case, they're like, no, no, no. They're just on jetpack, so they're just going to get shot. Yeah. yeah. It does seem like his weapon is like um, the best anyway. thing for shooting through. I guess it can shoot through Bezkar because it seems like that's kind of the most effective way. Or at least knocks them out. Yeah, the most effective yeah. way of kind of dealing with other people who are also wearing Bezkar at this point. But I mean, it's probably got way bigger bullets than uh, whatever a regular blast. I know that it probably doesn't have bullets. Well, yeah, they don't have bullets. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't. More powerful. I, I, it, is, it, it has more power, so maybe it does cut through Bezkar. I don't think it does so much more it's just as like like you'd be like wearing bulletproof armor and then getting shot in the chest with a yeah that's fair or it's got like it's, like, it's not gonna bigger, kill you but it's probably gonna knock you bigger out. blaster bolts so like they <clears throat> do right. more damage or whatever but yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah it's kind of cool like mandos versus imperials in beskar kind of gives this cool yeah um uh, kind of concept and then what you get out of that is a cool action scene where you see din and bow kind of taking down Imperials by 
targeting their weak points, yeah. like between yeah. their their armor plates and like under their neck and stuff. It's pretty it's very cool. John Wick. <laughs> yeah, it is super. It's super John Wick. Yeah, that's a great callback. Yes, totally. Yes, I did find 100%. it funny that the Imperials even tried to get close to the Mandalorians. It's like, why would you even bother trying to do hand to hand combat? You guys have jetpacks. Yeah, it's like, why would you not yeah. stay? Like your your main. Um, advantage right now would be staying up high and away from them because like hand to hand you're gonna fucking die like they're not they're way better trained than you are with well these aren't super commandos right these are just these are just regular troopers in in nice armor right um okay so maybe they are super commandos they'll call them that later Mm -hmm. but like maybe it's it's probably just in name only i'm sure they're not trained Um, okay so Oh, well, they're, they're not like that's the thing. They're not Mandalorians, no, right? And that no. the thing is that the Super Commandos were Mandalorians, right? Right. Under Gar Saxon, right? Right. So, so the Imperials start retreating, um, and uh, this did seem a bit fishy. When oh yeah, like, oh, this seems. I was like, oh, that's a trap. <laughs> I think that you guys are leading yourselves into a trap. Uh, so the Imperials start retreating, and the Mandalorians chase them through. What is obviously like a, an imperial hallway at this point? It's like as soon as you see that like, that hallway, it's like you guys should probably take a second and be like, "Wait a minute, yeah, what are we doing here? Yeah, why is this right? not going to get like obsessed with chasing them?" I heard someone on a podcast talk about the idea that the Mandalorians are too dumb to live, right? <laughs> that the way that they do the way that they do stuff and like the way that they follow people with the dark saber and all that stuff, it's like, yeah, yeah. No wonder you guys were conquered so easily. Like you guys are like idiots and then That's this is another funny. example of them being stupid it's like why are you following these people when it's clear like you're they're clearly leading you down a very specific path and then again there's all these other clues of imperial um like where first of all where do they come from so you're going to want to consider that right and b uh hey you're in an imperial hallway now where do you where do you think this is going to lead <laughs> yeah right no one considers that even though we get a cool fight sequence of bin of din and bow taking out imperials through a hallway, always like an you know a hallway scene. You know, did the hallway scene basically start with Re- with Rogue One, and now it's that's kind of where all the homages come from now. Well, I feel like it's the original that. hallway scene is Episode Four. Like, is it not? Wait, with Vader and in, in Obi Wan? No, like as in like Vader like coming on to. Oh wait, yeah, no, you're right. That's Rogue One. You're right. That is Rogue yeah. One. Sorry, I was mixing that up. I thought that that part of that happens. <laughs> well, they're just basically they're they're the same time frame. They happen like ten minutes uh, apart in, in real world. I don't know. Time, it's so. like I don't know if it would be Rogue One. It would probably be Episode One, like with the with Obi Wan and Maul, and well, I, yeah, that's maybe kind of a hallway. Ratio. I don't know because even that doesn't really take place. I know what you mean. It happens a little bit in the in there. I mean, I don't know. You're right. It's hard to say, but that hallway scene from Rogue One is probably yes, the most that's well the known. most like so I think when you do yeah, homages yeah, yeah no I think you're right yeah. the most um, visually um, yeah good one is obviously the Vader one from Rogue One right and then they do it again with, with uh, Maul in well and Luke yeah. and Maul yeah. they do Maul in in um, the Clone Wars finale yes. and then they do Luke in Mando season 2 so this is not quite like that because there's no lightsaber involved right. but um it uh it and it, neither does malls which is kind of cool too he's like using the like the walls to kill them but um in this one it's like it's just more he's kind of like more visceral violent um and and kind of uh well it's not more violent than the rogue one it's just kind of like you said i think you described it perfectly it's very john wick yeah <laughs> right in in the way that they do it um <clears throat> okay so 
they are led into a trap. And then instead of saying, it's a trap, uh, Din says, it's an ambush. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is also a clear uh, homage. Um, they get led into an Imperial hangar. And this Imperial hangar is really cool because it has um, tie interceptors hanging upside down yeah. on the ceiling, kind of like bats. It's like a really cool It looks cool really cool. Design choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Din is trapped and he's captured uh, alive. Um, despite his best efforts. And uh, Gideon arrives on his own jetpack <laughs> in his own Mandalorian armor mm -hmm. with his own Mandalorian helmet. What do you make of his, oh, his whole his look? His look here? is cool. Um, I mean, sometimes I still get um, like Death Watch like Darth Maul vibes from a lot from like because his armor's well, he's got the he's horns, got the horns. The, yeah. and I'm like why do they keep using the Darth Maul horns because even the armor kind of has and, them uh, um, the armor has horns too just another just another, <laughs> I know right so I'm like interesting choice that he would choose to put those little horns on but I mean I don't know maybe that's just the helmet that he found and repainted it who knows but the look is very very cool I um yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan it's yeah, it's just cool. That's the it's kind of hard to see his helmet. It's like a little underlit. Like mm -hmm. even the picture here on IMDb, it's like it's hard to see where the visor is. I think the visor has got a little bit of wider center section. Like the T visor is a little bit wider in the middle. It looks like, um, and the cheek, like the 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 kind of gaunt cheek, but no other better way to describe it. The cheek section is um, a little bit wider. Also, it's kind of got this like flared look to right. it. I don't love the helmet necessarily but i think that the the rest is cool the cape and all that stuff is cool yeah at one point i was kind of like well maybe maybe gideon was a mandalorian who followed maul and then eventually split off but no i mean he was an imperial yeah yeah so that that wouldn't have made sense but but he, he basically adopts their culture and he talks about that here basically saying that um every uh what is it? every society has something to offer it says the cloners the jedi Mandalorians, right? So he's kind of like merging all these things together. He's, I think the uh, strategy here is this. He's probably cloning some type of Force-sensitive like enforcer, like his own Jedi um, agent. Basically. Yeah, maybe. Um, and then he's going to equip those people. He's going to equip them with Mandalorian stuff. He's, he's kind of again, bringing that element of it. They're... they're rich resources, I think he says, um, of Beskar to kind of like create this super soldier army. I, I, I get that. That's the sense I get, right? Cloners, yeah. Jedi, Mandalorians. What do you think he was kind of getting at there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of what you said. Like he's maybe piecing together, taking some of the best aspects of things to kind of create his own new new group, right? Because he's, I think he's a pretty intelligent character. Um. So yeah, right. it's you know he's smart enough to realize the strengths of these different groups and kind of adopt them into his own, you know, being yep. in his own group. But I also kind of get like I get very, and I think this is obviously on purpose with his armor, but it also has a very Vader esque kind of silhouette to it too, like the helmet sure, and everything yeah, too. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean he's just cool looking, and I just I love the actor um, as well. So. I, yeah, every, yeah. he's so good everything yeah. he's in but um, yeah he just does such a good job with this character that he just always sounds so evil yeah all so the time. he is basically he's like super intelligent but also yeah very evil. it's like the same character he plays in like Breaking Bad but 
just Star Wars version. It's funny. But uh, yeah. Hey, there's a reason they cast him. Yeah, no, he plays a really great villain. Um, So so he admits here that uh, he's created the next generation of Dark Trooper suit from Beskar, right? So the last ones, the Dark Troopers that Luke cuts through aren't made of Beskar, hence the cutting through them so easily, right? Um, And he says, the most impressive improvement is that it has me in it, which I think is very very (laughs) self-serving. Just toots his own horn, yeah. Yeah. um, Love the look of the like shiny black armor. I think it looks really cool. Um, In... Legends, the Dark Trooper stuff works like uh, the original ones are clones, and then, um, and then they're robots. I want to say they're like the the droids, and then they're and then they're suits again. So this kind of follows a similar trajectory as that. So going back from droids, which the previous Dark Troopers were, into humans outfitted in you know Beskar armor. Um, uh, but you know, are there others, or is it just you? <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean, like, is that the best improvement? Because you had like so many of those ones before, you know. Um. Anyway, uh, I also love that we get uh, Gideon's theme here again. Um. Again, very cool. He does say that, uh, "Hey, thank you for gathering the Mandalorians into one place. You were a talented people, but your time has passed. Again, too too dumb to live. Um. However, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me." Right, so he's adopted this Mandalorian uh, concept, and he's gonna—he's using it for his own gains. But for this to really succeed, there can't be any challenge to that. But you know, it, it is interesting because he like—he obviously has respect for it because he's forged his own armor, right? Yeah. Um, and I th- that like that in and itself speaks volumes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he says. He wants to create an army that will bring back order to the galaxy. So this kind of kind of flips that what we heard last, right? Because we knew that in season two finale that he wanted Grogu's blood so he could return order to the galaxy. And we assumed that that was the Emperor. Turns out that's not the case. He wants to create an army of these super soldiers that will bring order to the galaxy. So then we have his, he has his own gains, which I, th- I think makes him more compelling as a villain, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And then he says, let's take your fleet off the board while we still have the element of surprise. It is unfortunate that we don't see any of that, which is kind of implied. So the interceptors right, and bombers yeah. are deployed um, to take out the fleet um, above Mandalore. Um, I guess, how does he know that that fleet is there unless he has that surprise? You know, he has that uh, spy element, right? Like, he has to know that they're there because he can't scan outside of atmosphere, right? right? Is that the whole idea? Yeah, I mean, he may have had scouts or something that were like kind of scouting to see when they would show up. Cause he obviously knew they were going to show up at That's some possible. point. So yeah. I would just, yeah, assume he had like a scout ship up there, but uh, I'm assuming we're going to get that next right. week about the whole, about this, you know, fleet battle that's going to be taking place over top of Mandalore. Right. So how did he, how did he get set up? How did yeah, he manage yeah. to keep it secret? All that. Other well, stuff. as soon as we realize, like, Oh um, shit, his base okay. is on um, Mandalore. You're like, Oh man, like, okay. They're going to get like these, the Mandalorians might get kind of fucked up when they go there because he's you know once he's established yeah. there we're like oh shit like, you're walking right into the yeah exactly yeah. so we're like okay well i guess we'll see how this plays out in the finale but yeah walking into the lion's yes. den in this, in this situation um okay um he says in a few moments the purge of mandalore will be complete um which is a little ominous um <clears throat> so Bo 
has a quick conversation. And I do like how <laughs> this is a pretty funny line from uh, from Gideon. Bo-Katan, we really need to stop meeting like this, right? I, right. I think that it's like that's a funny. It's a pretty funny quote. <laughs> Which and like it's clearly it, the funny thing about that is, of course, it's like an in, like a a human saying like that people on Earth say, right? Yes. So. Yes. Um, and that's like referenced in movies all the time. So it, it's like, it, it's a little funny to hear that sometimes from Star Wars characters, but sure, why not? Um, so she says that she should have killed him when he had the chance, which by the way is another classic cliche, right? I should have killed you when I had the chance. And the answer is, of course, she should have. Right? Yes, in absolutely. Yeah. Can't trust the New Republic to, to wipe their own butt, apparently. So, um, and uh, so Gideon wants... Bo to surrender to him, give him the dark saber, and admit defeat. Right, kind of like mirroring what she had to do um, to him originally. Right, but um, she refuses to do that this time. She's learned her lesson, and uh, she gets cover from Paz and the rest of the Mandalorians, and uses the lightsaber, the dark saber, to cut a hole. I kind of wish she cut a bigger hole. It's a very small <laughs> hole. Um, she didn't have a lot of time. Paz probably wouldn't have been able to fit through. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Right. Yeah. So she she cuts a hole in the wall in the rear of the the kind of chamber that they're trapped in and allows them to retreat. Right. Um, but uh, as the as the rest of the the Mandalorians escape, um, she stops and says, "Hey, Paz, we're ready to go. Are you coming with us?" And he's like, "No, there's yeah. too many of them." Um, and then like locks her in. And sacrifices himself. Yeah. Um, were you expecting Paz to die in this episode? I mean, not until that moment. I, I was expecting it as soon as he told everybody, like to to that he was going to cover the rear. I was like, oh, he's gone. Like that's right. kind of when I started to get that gut feeling that yeah. you know Paz probably isn't going to make it out. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a bummer, man. Like I liked Paz. Uh, I thought he was a really really cool character. Um but yeah, I get it, you know, he just kind of shuts the door and last words or this is the way and yeah, and yeah, she just has cool. to take off, but um yeah, no. It's a, it's a very Mandalorian hero's death, right? So, it's a I think it's a good right, death for Paz, but yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, uh-huh. you know, it 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 hits you. That's definitely a big loss for sure. Yeah. It's cool too, because it's like, he's a Vizsla and she obviously has history with that family. So seeing him die here is, um, tough. And of course he has a son too. Yes. So how, you know, Ragnar. So how's that, you know, that that's even more. At least clan Vizsla. There's still, they're still alive, right? Lives on. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he does such a good job of just demolishing the rest of these, um, oh, you know, yeah. it's so, so cool. He gets a, he definitely gets a badass uh, <laughs> kill you know, count uh, end scene. I guess the idea of here being like, do you think that like that this they did this? So they did two things, right? They set it up like we should have predicted. Oh, they're building out this character a little bit more. So just like they did with tech, so he's probably gonna die. Right. Um. So we and we we didn't pick up on that with the tech thing as much, or maybe a little bit more. In this case, it's like they didn't do as much work, right? Because there's not as many episodes. Yeah. We find out he has a son. And we find out that he has some respect for Din, and that's <clears throat> that's really all we need to know, right? Yeah, they, um, they became buddies. So, so he does sacrifice himself. He gets to. That's true. They and at least they get to die. Friends, yeah, <laughs> or he gets to die friends with Din. Um, but uh, it is interesting because 
A, so Din gets taken away. He doesn't get to see this. So he'll find out about this later. Um, I'm interested to see how they handle that. Um, but also, he is played by, or, you know, he's voiced by John Favreau, right? The toy has his face on it. <laughs> we never get to see his face. I think this season um, is different. So, of though. course, he gives himself a badass death. The season is different. What do you mean? It's a different person voicing him this season. It's not John Favreau anymore. It's some- no, 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 no. It's a different. It's a different actor playing the character in live action, but it's still. Is it still voice? I thought he was Tate Fletcher. I thought he also voices. Yeah, him. I know it is. Okay. I don't think so. I maybe we'll get confirmation on that, but I, I'm 99.9 percent sure he's still okay. Being he's voiced. still being voiced. Okay, Just kind of like enough. how in the in. In the credits here, you've got Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, yeah. but you also get Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder right, right. as the Mandalorian. Yeah. So okay, fair enough. Yeah, I could I could be wrong then. Well. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought they switched it up this season, and that Tate Fletcher is also voicing him this season, but I could be wrong. Uh, well, I feel like wait, unless he doing is he doing an impression of John Favreau? Yeah. It still sounds exactly <laughs> fair like enough. Him, so I don't know. Anyway, either way. It, not surprising that John Favreau gave his character like a pretty cool. Setup. Yeah, yeah. You know, fair enough. You get you're the director, you're the showrunner. You get to yeah, make of course. Decisions. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quibble with that. Um, i you know, I am. Am I glad that a character dies? No. It is nice to know that there are stakes, though. So that that does add to some of the to the to the tension of the show. Um, so it, it largely good. I might. I think Paz was a really cool character and I, we only scratched the surface at understanding the character. Yeah. So I would have liked to and have explored his lineage and all that kind of stuff. So maybe we'll get to do that through his son. But, you know, largely speaking, I just felt like we didn't really get to know the character enough to really feel a major impact when the character died. I certainly didn't, you know, get sad. Oh, really? I, it was kind of more like, this is cool and tragic. I think I, I felt it a bit because, you know, like I wasn't necessarily like sad but i was like oh it's kind of a bummer like because i just i really like his character and i think he's a really cool looking character i guess just because he's so giant um he's just such a commanding yeah. kind of presence in with the other mandalorians because he's so much bigger and he's got this massive whatever you want to call it gun that he uses and stuff so yeah it, it's to me it's always kind of a bummer when you lose a character that has so much um well like it's presence. So unique yeah, yeah i mean like He's the only one that looked like the most different. <laughs> different, right? yeah. This angular helmet <laughs> yeah. and all this other stuff. And now it's like all the rest of the Mandalorians look the same. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's also a bit of a shame. Too. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not like, it's like, it's, it's cool the way that this all happens, but it's just kind of like when you think about it a little bit deeper, it's kind of like, ah, maybe, you know, it obviously doesn't work with really any other character. Right. You know? Well, yeah, that's so, the thing. It's because we don't know any of them. And that's the, that's the show's fault. If they had established other characters, they wouldn't have to use this character. Yeah. For that. that and right? it's, um, I feel like he's the only one who could have done it and kept them at bay. Right. Because right. he's just yes. better. I, I just, I loved visually of you, how you see the gun. I don't know what you want to call it. The blaster Gatling gun, whatever you kind of call the it. The blaster overheats. Yeah. yeah it's, seeing it's it slowly like overheat. Gatling gun thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like very cool. I'm like, okay, I thought it was going to explode and that's maybe how he was going to die. But um. in, uh, in Star Wars Battlefront, the weapons overheat. Instead of having to reload, you have to like eject gotcha. like a cooling cartridge or like let it, let it cool down. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, to, so you can fire again. So this is kind of like that. It overheats, and so it overheats, and he throws it at one yeah. of them. And that's really cool. Um, and we get kind of get the sense of how heavy it really is, and despite the fact that he carries it around everywhere. Right. Um, anyway, so he takes out a bunch of out of a bunch of Imperial uh, super commandos, 
very cool the way he does it, like runs out of ammo and then takes them on, you know, by hand yeah. and clears the room. Yeah. Right. And he's like, OK, well, hey, and he's like, oh, now he should he should have just flown out. Right. He has a jetpack. He could have flown out of the roof at that point. That was an option. Right. But instead, he is confronted by three Praetorian guards, the ones that we heard mentioned yes. earlier in the, in the, uh, the episode. They look so freaking yeah, cool they here. Do. Clearly a proto design of what we see later on from episode eight. I think they look badass. Similar design scheme, thinner, but with kind of like these, not skirts necessarily, but kind of like these robes yes, underneath yeah. armor, which is very cool. And uh, they don't speak, obviously. They have these unique weapons that are kind of like lightsabers, but not. And... Uh, Anyway, they make short work of Paz. Like the way that they do it. And by the way, this is when this this like choral music, this choir that plays this kind of like chanting music, very similar again to um, in, in, in style to kind of Duel of the Fates. Yes, yeah. Um, the best Star Wars song of all time, right? So I think that's not an accident. Again, we'll probably hear more of that same theme next week. But again, they make short work of Paz and he's um, left to uh, die, his body lying motionless on the ground. Very similar to the way that um, uh, the body of the Ugnaught from season one dies. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, you're right. That season, right? A quill. 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 Yeah, quill, yeah, yeah. quill is, he, he's lying there with his face, body, you know, chest down, face on the side, looking at the camera. Um, so I think that's probably um, uh, a similarity, but it's just a really cool final shot before we cut to credits. Yeah. Yeah, very um, cool. Any final thoughts on this on this last moment? No, I just mean, obviously, it was a very cool ending scene with their kind of, I don't know what you would call those, like electro staffs or electro blades or vibro blades or... I don't what know what they are. I, um, I kind of wish I knew what kind of... Yeah. The vi- I'm going to see if I they're can... They're kind of like a mix between, um, like you see the, I think they call them electro staffs or something that the they have in the clone wars that some of the droids oh, yeah, have the, the 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 guards for yeah 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 yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. Uh, grievous's guards have those electro yeah but yeah. they do seem like they're kind of like they're knives too though these ones like it's not like it's just electricity like they've got like a blade to them so they're very cool yeah. looking but i just like the purple and like the yeah the way the purple looks against with the red and everything and their helmets are really cool but yeah you see these three come out and you're like oh shit like this is yeah this right. is happening Okay, now, here's so. what they're called. So according to um, StarWars.com databank, they are armed with Electro Bacentos. Oh, okay. Which is a, a, a refinement, as a technology refinement of an ancient melee weapon. Hmm. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, very cool. But yeah, I mean... Whatever that... I don't really know what that means, but now you at least have a word yeah, for it. Yeah, very, very kind of um, climactic... Uh, ending scene for this, no, so for this cool. episode. It was very, oh. very cool. It's so badass. Yeah, it's... It might be one of the coolest Star Wars <laughs> things we've seen in a while. Yes. Like, genuinely, like genu- genuinely love to see the Praetorian Guards. They can hold their own against Jedi. Yes. And of course, they make short order of, yes. of Paz. And it's like, it's not really fair. It's not a fair fight. Oh, There's no, three of them of versus not. one. And the way that they don't make a sound. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just so, it's just super cool looking. I just think the whole thing and the, the music and the whole the way that they kind of like systematically like take him down as a tree. It's just really very badass. Sad for Paz, but very cool moment for the for Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. Um, with that note, we've gone long again. So <laughs> thank you everyone for listening, for sticking around this long. I, I hope you did. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. 
Uh, you can do so financially at patreon.com slash towerbabblecast and get access to our Discord for your trouble. Um, and, uh, and of course, get access to our monthly film club as well. So um, find us on Twitter at towerbabblecast, facebook.com slash towerbabblecast, and head over to our website, towerbabble.ca to find everything that we do. I'll for sure be back next week with the um, uh, uh, finale for this season, chapter 24, mm-hmm. season three, episode eight. Time will tell for uh, for Rachel. Yeah, we'll, we'll, see. we'll see if uh, I can make it work or not. Likely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Unfortunately. We'll hey, I made it farther than I but thought I was going to. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see about next week. Uh, hopefully it's not just me, but we'll, we'll play it by ear. Keep uh, tabs on the Twitter and the Discord and all that kind of stuff to, to, to keep up with that news. Um, and uh, until then, may the force be with you. <laughs>